Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Incomparable, number 704, February 2024. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. And in this episode, we're going to talk about something we've talked about before. Let me explain myself. Back when The Incomparable was a very young podcast, we did episodes about large scales of things, like, you know, all of horror movies or all of movie music. And then what happens is natural in any podcast life. You do 700 episodes and you think, wait we did an episode about all three Back to the Future movies in which we just sort of used our memories to talk about how we liked them in a one hour long episode. That is not going to cut it for a 700 episode podcast. So just as we did with the Indiana Jones movies, we are going to revisit the Back to the Future movies appropriately. And to talk about the original Back to the Future, not not one not the the original, just uh, called Back to the Future. Uh, he says the title in the movie twice. Twice. Uh, are these following wonderful people? Aline Sims is here. Hello. Great Scott. <laughs> Great Scott. Lex Friedman joins us. Of course, I wouldn't do this without him. Hi, Lex. Oh, that's so sweet. I'm so excited to talk about my second favorite of the three Back to the Future films. Mm. <laughs> Weird. Um, Primer being his favorite. Shelly Brisbane. Hello. Hi. Uh, I am the thinnest version of myself, but I am wearing a puffy jacket. <laughs> John Syracuse is here. Hi, John. 1994, Jason. Mm. 1994. 1994. We'll get to it. Okay. And Chip Sutterth. Jason Snell, the podcast host. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so many references are going to be acknowledged in this episode and probably some will not be. Um, this is, I always think of, of, uh, back to the future and ghostbusters as a little bit of a matched set in the, in the early to mid eighties, Hollywood suddenly realized that you could take the special effects and sort of genre plotting of a, a star Wars kind of movie and build a more comic film out of it and not have it look, uh, too cheap for the era. And back and Ghostbusters was the hit of 1984 and Back to the Future of 1985. Is that right? Um, both very successful films that are, you know, th- this is a sci-fi movie, but it's also a comedy um, and it's got special effects, but it's uh, it's also funny. It's it's a uh, it's a nice like they didn't they didn't I don't think they made movies like this before uh, the early 80s, but uh, it's a it's a classic for a reason. Uh, everybody else, how are you feeling about uh, jumping into Back to the Future? I am so excited. This is one of my um, childhood standards, and now one of my comfort movies. Mm. So i i don't I don't even know how many times I've seen 
the Back to the Future trilogy. It's like a hundred. I don't know. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. Well, you could do it from memory then. It's it's such a zeitgeist movie. Like I had forgotten how many lines and references, talking about reference acknowledged, there's just so many things in there that are part of our culture. And I think people probably know what they're from, but I'd forgotten a few. And also like Mm -hmm. Ghostbusters, uh, starring people known mostly for television and catchy theme songs. So they have that in common as well. Mm. Yeah, I as as a as a teenager and in my 20s, uh it was a go-to movie uh for me and then I'd fallen away from it, but I figured, you know, I I remember it all. Uh so I I I had a little bit of a harder time getting into it this time. Uh and I'm I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, but I didn't have a Superman the movie moment with it. I'll tell you that. Okay, good. That's good. It's a good start. This this is the movie that I use whenever I have like a, a new theater setup, right? Like, hey, here's a new way that we're going to watch movies in our house, wherever we're living at that time. Uh, we always start with Back to the Future. So it's it's Kristen's multiple big screens in my life. And I uh, I enjoyed it on my rewatch as much as all the other many, many, many times I've seen it. That's not to say it was without flaw, but I really liked it. John Syracuse, do you have an opening statement of your own? Uh, I don't know. I, th- I mean, I think this is a perfect little jewel of a movie. Like mm-hmm. every time I watch it, I expect it to look super dated and everything. And other than the parts that are supposed to look dated, it's just such a, a nice little, uh, it's like a snow globe. It's, you know, it, if you look inside, there's some cheesy stuff in there, but it's just, it's all of a piece. I feel like it, it just still works. Uh, I, whenever I have to think of like a crowd pleasing movie that's sort of like, good for everybody i back to the future is right near the top of the list it's not you know the world's most amazing motion picture but for what it is it's kind of like this and like the karate kid like in in their in their subgenre, they are defining and i mean practically perfect as far as i'm concerned not that they're a perfect movie but like oh the back to the future kind of movies the kind you just described where it's like uh you know some special effects some comedy some sitcom humor some mm-hmm. tv stars like it's, it's hard to beat this it goes down easy it's good. Yes, it's it a great, great example of that. Well, should I walk through it and then we can just stop and quote all the lines as we go? I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I, why not? Yeah, in today. case somebody hasn't seen it, you know, they'd want us to quote all the lines. Yeah. <laughs> and just to uh, to clarify my uh, my introductory statement, uh, this everyone does this uh, in the modern age. Whenever you talk about Back to the Future, we're talking about it in uh, February of 2024, which means that huh. if this movie was set in today, Marty would be going back in time to the ancient days of 1994 yes. to see his parents <laughs> in high school. Indeed. Uh, God, oh, me. indeed. I like, that, I that like hurts, John. We'll, we'll get to it with, with the second movie, which goes into the far future that has now receded into our past <laughs> yes. by quite a ways. <laughs> the one I oh. haven't seen, I can't wait. Oh, I feel like man. the past one hurts more, though, because when I wa- first watched right. this on whatever age I was in 1985, you know, it's like the 50s. years old, 11 years old, right? When they went back to the 50s, they might have been might as well have been going back to see, like, <laughs> dinosaurs. Like, it was <laughs> like, oh, can you believe how yeah. old everything is and how weird everything was in the distant past and uh-huh. And now I think about 1994 and it does not feel that no, way. No, no, no. It's, it's, that's, that time will do it to you. Speaking of time, the movie begins with the ticking of clocks. Right? Get it? On the, Subtle. Right <laughs> on the nose. Yeah. Including many, many clocks. This is Doc Brown's house. Um, including a, what I am calling the Harold Lloyd foreshadowing clock, which is, mm-hmm. of course, the man dangling from the clock tower. Um, many alarms go off. A uh, coffee maker dispenses water onto a hot plate. It's, it's worth noting. It's extremely, 
It's extremely impressive that Doc invents Time Machine, not just for the obvious reason, but also because it would appear he is not that good an inventor slash scientist. No. His, his breakfast contraption has no QA built into it, no, no safety slash error checking. Uh, all, all the technology you see in, in Doc's office is the uh, 1980s movie scientist technology. That, yes. If you look mm-hmm. at the, any scientist, they have some kind of automation using metal things and robotics and lights and knobs. Uh, yeah, I think you can just go to a parts yeah. bin and assemble this thing. And he, he is the stereotypical eighties scientist. And as we know, it's not, maybe he was a bad inventor, but all you need is that blow to the head well, from the toilet. So what I mean, Lex is saying is in the text, right? Which is when Marty goes back in time and we'll get there. Um, cause it's a time travel movie. Surprise the person out there who's never seen this movie and is listening to this podcast. Um, weird choice. He says, he says, Oh, I finally invented something that works, right? Like mm-hmm. it's right, yeah. it's right there. The one thing, but it's a pretty good thing, right? If you're gonna only it's a pretty good thing. choose one. So yes, he's got this whole contraption. It turns out he's not there. And so the the real challenge is here, he didn't he didn't turn off his automation. And yeah, there's there's no QA at all. Burn toast, there's a dog food dispenser, but no dog. Um, in comes Marty McFly, Michael J. Fox, t- star of TV's family ties. Uh uh, inhabiting the part after Eric Stoltz worked on it for five weeks and they fired him. That just he, blows my mind every time I remember that. Because he wasn't funny. That sounds like, I mean, they were like, oh, Eric Stoltz, he's a very good actor. And he just wasn't bringing, I mean, you read the quotes about it and it just comes down to the fact that they thought, um, wasn't funny, <laughs> brought a dramatic energy to a movie that doesn't need it. Uh, and they, and they literally, the, the, the anecdote that I liked the best was before they had, they had actually fired him. They started shooting scenes with him where they spent a lot of time shooting the reverse shots. <laughs> and then, the, and then the camera people would be like, well, w- w- aren't we going to do the setup on Eric? <laughs> and the, and, and, um, uh, the production people were like, no, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh man. Oh, man. Writing on the wall. Something is well, up. One of the things that Zemeckis is the, says the, no. <laughs> the most ridiculous about this movie on the opening scene that, you know, that continues to get more ridiculous each time I watch it is, in fact, the outfit that both Michael J. <laughs> Fox and Stoltz were forced to wear. Like, it, it's very 80s, but it is also a heightened 80s in a way that didn't exist except in movies in the 80s. Like, the, the outfit that Marty is wearing when he hooks up to the big amp. I don't think that existed in real life in any form, but it's so clearly uh, the 80s turned to 11. I don't know if this is a part that that Chip reacted to, but when I watched it, this is the part that I thought was broader than I remembered, which is he hooks up to the <laughs> amp and it's like the many everything, all the volumes go up and then he does one thing on the guitar and the entire speaker shatters and he's flown back in, in basically in that like that TV commercial, like that, like uh-huh. the, the Max the L commercial. Yeah, or Memorex yeah. or yeah. whatever. It's, yeah. yeah, it's it's Max that commercial. It it's just a it's a it's a very sketch comedy moment at the beginning of this. Well, that's part, part of the magic of this movie is that <laughs> it is incredibly broad. I kept thinking like that a lot of the humor is essentially sitcom humor, you yeah. know, and like seventies or eighties sitcom humor, not like you know modern sitcoms. But the movie is so charming, you like it. It it, it you just. It works like it is it is really well done sitcom humor. And yeah, the 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 it has the 80s thing where there's a, a sort of an extended opening that modern audiences wouldn't stand for where they actually show like letters of text on a black background briefly and the whole clocks and yeah. him getting it set up. And in the 80s, we just accepted the idea that they're going to ease you into the movie and you weren't going to immediately be, ho- be hooked. And this one is fairly shortened. But yeah, that getting blown back by the speaker fits perfectly in with the cartoon logic of the entire rest of this movie. <laughs> I'm also very impressed with the sound of the movie, right? Like from the very beginning, the 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 clocks 
when they all start going off, make a lovely cacophony. And then mm-hmm. that speaker sh- trying to demonstrate that this this amp is getting turned up too loud with just buzzing. Mm-hmm. Like it's from two minutes into this movie, you can see like they, they really think a whole lot, not just about the soundtrack, which is great, and the the score and the the Huey Lewis songs, but like all the sound effects are are giving are they're 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 playing their A game the whole time, which is pretty good. This opening scene is also really good for quickly establishing that Marty McFly is not Alex P. Keaton. He's uh he's a he, he's a real a down rocker. to earth kid. Yeah. He's a cool, cool dude though. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. Um, uh, I do, I remember I was watching Family Ties pretty regularly uh back then, and um, funnily enough, uh, Alex P. Keaton wasn't my favorite character because I even back then I sympathized more with the hippie parents. Mm. This is a completely different character uh, with the same amiable uh, comedic actor, uh, but um, Alex P. Keaton would not jack into a, a, a speaker turned up no. to 11 D billion. Wouldn't wear that, he wouldn't have a skateboard. Either. Only cool dudes have skateboards. Yeah, skateboard. That's, That's true. Right. That's true. And he's cool, but not in this sort of big man on campus way. I mean, he's the down to earth, I think, is more salient than the yeah. cool part. And 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 uh, Fox is older than his character by six or seven years, yeah. and so I think not only do we separate him from his Family Ties character, but we say this kid is going to believably play a teenager. And I I think you're right. I think the opening sets that up real well. Mm-hmm. And then, and then um, when he's leaving there, you know, um, I had to go back to Wikipedia to remind myself which came first, the Ferris Bueller or the Back to the Future. Um, because there's that little bit where he's, um, hitch- hitching a ride on the, um, truck right. and in front of the aerobic studio and he appears to be popular. And I was just, you know, is he, it, 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 he's almost sort of a prototype, uh, for that, uh, l- lovable, cool, t- uh, high schooler. Yeah. He's doing all the th- cool things. Cool. People do in eighties movies. Yeah. You have a skateboard. You're cool. If you do things slightly against the law, like, uh, you know, grabbing onto a car with your skateboard to get someplace faster. You're cool. If the pretty ladies in the aerobic place know you, you're cool. He's, yep. he's, he's definitely giving cool things. Yeah. This the, opening uh, scene also has the, uh, I'm sure there's internet lore on this, but like they, they scan by a bed on the floor. And the question is, is that Marty's bed or is that where doc sleeps? And if Marty's sleeping over at doc's house, what's going on there? Uh, it's not really an important part of the movie, but it is there. Uh, yeah. And then the, the final thing in this very opening scene, and I'll just pull it out now because we'll see it throughout the entire rest of the movie. And I think it is kind of like my thesis for this movie and why it's so successful. Uh, at one point, he comes in with his uh, Jansport backpack with nothing in it on top of his skateboard and he puts it down and it, the skateboard rolls over and the camera follows it and mm-hmm. the skateboard bumps into the container of plutonium, which you just heard about on the, the TV broadcast right. on the news, right? Stolen plutonium. Right. And then later, when he leaves on his skateboard, the camera also lingers on the thing of plutonium. And that goes to show that uh, one of the things this movie does and does so well uh, is that uh, Jimmy Two Times from Goodfellas was on the production staff. <laughs> they will show you everything twice. twice. Once for a long time and a second time for a long time. They'll show everything yep. twice. They'll show the plutonium twice. They'll give you the line about the pine trees twice. They'll show that Ronald Reagan is an actor twice. They mm-hmm. they, they will always show you the thing twice. They'll, and not they'll twice say in succession. They'll, they'll, they'll show say the name once. of the movie twice, John. They'll say the name of the right. movie twice. <laughs> they'll say it once. Then they'll give you time to digest. And mm-hmm. if you miss it, they'll say it one more time because this movie wants to be a beautiful puzzle box. But it does not want anyone to be left behind. So a movie like Syriana or like Memento or some other movie or, you know, uh, Primer or whatever. Exactly. Those are puzzle box movies that are not going to repeat themselves. But this movie 
doesn't commit the sin of Inception, this movie shows it does not tell, but it will show you twice. <laughs> and it's super, and I, I love it for that because it's what makes it such a crowd pleaser in that it will make sure everybody's following along, but it doesn't do it in a way that annoys the people who caught the first one. It just makes sure that all the things they're laying down are there for you to see. And that's why I think so many people love this movie, because even if they don't get everything that's in it, and we'll talk about some of the things that people don't get, they the movie works so hard to bring everybody along and make them feel interested and clever without having, as you know, Bob characters explain things to you. I, I really love that about this movie. And I think it ties into another aspect that I think works really, really well. And that is the visual storytelling in this movie is so, so good. This is not um, this is not a movie that I can like read while I watch because I, I do that with movies that I've seen a lot of times because like it's worth it to pay attention to what's happening on the screen, not only for seeing the plutonium twice so that you really understand what's happening, but like the journey through the town square as he's like holding onto the the back of the truck and seeing all of the shops there. And then he goes back in time and you see how that's changed and see how the town has changed. And then when he gets back to the now um, altered present day, it's different again. Um, the we, You were talking about how Michael J-, J. Fox is a more comedic actor and like a lot of that he does through body language and facial expression. He's just so good at kind of the WTF is happening. Mm. Did my mom just try to kiss me? <laughs> like all, all of that stuff. And I just, I feel like maybe that's part of why I don't watch a ton of modern movies now is because of that pandering that we get or that like, um, we're going to have a lot of exposition to explain what's happening because I, I I don't see things that are like subtly taking you along for the ride as much now. I wouldn't say they're all even all that subtle. Some of them are delightful. Like when Biff stands up and you see Marty's eyes over his shoulder, that's practically like a shot from a cartoon. Like his eyes yeah. bug out. They have they have no problem saying we're going to take it to 11. Like it's almost almost like a stage play in the sort of exaggerated like we can get away with a lot of sight gags here mm-hmm. because the, the humor just works as the movie charms you. And the, the way the camera moves is very zemeckis like it is crowd pleasing and they're not they're not afraid to say oh that's a little over the top we shouldn't do that say like, no 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 May, when he stands up show that he's real tall but have marty's eyes just barely be visible and then marty make your eyes bug out and he's like, you think that's too much no it's not and i watched the movie i'm like no it's not too much i love the gi- it Give the giant more. speaker i think sets the tone in that way of like no there's <laughs> exactly, nothing that's right. going mm-hmm. to be too far out for us to just do it is this a little too far out no let's just do it. okay so uh, after getting a message from Doc uh, Brown saying, meet me at the Twin, uh, he calls uh, calls his house or wherever this is, and Marty answers, meet me at the Twin Pines Mall at 1.15 a.m. Marty is late for school because Doc Brown has successfully set all his clocks uh, wrong, and so he, he has Marty to go. Marty was going to be late for school anyway, though. Yeah, he got to Doc he, Brown's he, house too late to get yeah, to school on time, it, no matter it, what. It's true, and he that's was going to just play the guitar anyway. Uh, but anyway, that's the power of love. Huey Lewis comes in. Uh, it's in the, it, it, the power of love, so important, it's in the opening credits, the power of love performed by Huey Lewis in the news, we get in this, uh, not quite a montage. I mean, it's more like just we're following Marty here, but we get a really good um, talking about Robert Zemeckis and all the, the things he doesn't want to have us be confused by. There are lots of jokes and lots of things that happen when Marty goes back in time that need to be set up here. And so as we're going through this town square in Hill Valley 
a hilariously contradictory oxymoron of a name. I live in Mill Valley, by the way. There's a valley and there was a mill in it before. I do not live in Hill Valley. It's a different place. Well, just well the good clear. thing is that Hill Valley is a set we are all very familiar with if you've seen movies. It is yes. really familiar. Um, anyway, so but by tracking Marty on a skateboard and, and hitching on the back of the, of the truck and all of that, we get to see the geography. We get to see all the different places, the X-rated movie house that's right there, the Jazzercise ladies all of that in the town so we have some idea of that when we get back there and then at school we meet his girlfriend jennifer uh they run afoul of the dean strickland one of the my favorite things in this movie is that for a movie that goes back in time 30 years i enjoy that strickland never yep. changes because he's that character who who is uh, who i think exists in real life too whereas that you go back to school and it's 20 years later and there's somebody there and you're like oh my god they're exactly the same because they never age they're always eternally locked into that place and i like that Strickland's- i appreciate that they do it with strickland there's always that guy that you went to college with who looked like he was in his 50s when he was in his 20s I love that yes. gag, but I don't think Doc Brown changes either. I think it's Doc true. Brown yes. in the fifties and Doc concern. Brown in the eighties, same dude. But it's it's not that's not the joke. But Strickland is the joke. I, Correct. I, know. Strickland I understand is, that. It's I'm just saying him, but Doc it should Brown be pointed out that Doc Brown doesn't change either. Although he calls out, he says, "I look so old." Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. They hang a lantern on that one. And Strickland says, "You're a slacker. You remind me of your father." No McFly ever mounted to anything, um, which is going to be a. You know, it's an important theme of this movie and Marty and his and his parents. Um, he he auditions for, let's say, Battle of the Bands. It's not that, but who cares? He the, he and his band audition. They're too darn loud. Huey Lewis is one of the people in the audition, by the way. Yeah, that's one of the few things that this movie puts in there that they don't uh, care if the audience follows. Almost everything else they really want the audience to follow. They're like, look, if you don't know it's Huey Lewis, the scene works fine. If you do yeah. know, it's a little bit funnier. He doesn't say, you, you need more of the power of love, Marty. He doesn't mm-hmm. say that. He could Although, have, with the song like so the power of love you know you've got the the music playing and it comes in and out and like towards the end of this when he goes back into the i think when he goes back into the town square and he uh gets the note from jennifer with yes. uh, i love you on it or whatever that's when they bring out the chorus mm-hmm. it's so cheeseball what this movie does with the soundtrack it is so cheeseball but it's cheeseball in the same way like that the star wars soundtrack is cheeseball i put it at that level of successfully accomplishing what yeah. it's what it's trying to do it's so good it's just yes cheeseball 80 song it's the theme of the movie you're not going to hear the chorus until he gets a note from his pretty girlfriend and they crank the volume up and that's the power of love and it's 100 mm-hmm. percent on the nose and everyone in the audience understands what it's saying and somehow it still works and it's carrying us through all because this is not yeah, just, just we're meeting Marty. Time. this is all plot and detail setup that you need to know this is a download of a series of scenes and it carries us through i think very successfully after strickland after the battle of the band fails we get the save the clock tower campaign <laughs> the clock tower which is carefully framed behind them yes. in that shot like so their framing is, is cheeseball the framing is like well, we need them we need people to know about the clock and we, ha- we heard the save the clock tower later but of course we need to show it twice so can we frame this just yeah. so we make sure that the audience can see the clock right behind it's them providing Isn't that a little on the nose robert no no, no it's i think not. i I think when you're doing setup for later recall, you want to be as clear as possible. So I wouldn't even call it cheesy. I would call it shorthand. It is like literally, hey, we save the clock tower. We know precisely, precisely when it was hit by lightning. It's on this flyer. Hold on to this flyer, Marty. Um, Marty uh, tells Jennifer that uh, I think it's he tells Jennifer. Anyway, it's the someday my dream will become reality. My dream being that I will one day drive 
a Toyota 4x4. That made me <laughs> laugh. placement, second occurrence. A Japanese truck uh, is my dream. It's just, I think it's very funny. Uh, and it's so small because today's trucks are enormous. Yeah, but um, it's a cool looking yeah. truck. And even sure. in the 80s, that was a cool looking truck. And he wants, he wants like any suburban kid, he wants a, he wants a, a 4x4 truck. Um, there's a line about uh, my mom was born a nun uh, that if you've seen the movie more, <laughs> it's a setup, but also it's just a mm-hmm. payoff. Uh, if you've seen the movie before that, that is going to come back around I never 30 years ago. You're chased after a boy. Yeah. 30 years ago, lightning struck that clock tower. We feel the power of love. There is a, uh, an X rated theater right downtown. Things have not really gone that well for Hill Valley. Um, and then Marty goes home to the lion estates. Again, important to note, the Lion Estates entrance, because we will be seeing this again in a very different context. Um, we meet Biff, who has wrecked uh, the McFly's car. Um, Mar- My note here is simply that Marty needs to find a better timeline in which to live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the car had a blind spot. You can hardly blame him. Yeah, it had a blind spot. Uncle Joey didn't make parole. Crispin Glover <laughs> is his dad. Can I just say, Crispin Glover, you know, he's a weirdo. He kicked at David Letterman that one time and you're like, but I, I, I really, this is a, it's such a weird performance and I love it. Like both of them, both the, uh, George McFly here and then back in time, like, like this is why you cast Crispin Glover is to have a character this, this strange. Cause he's a strange man. Like I wouldn't even call him quirky. I would just be like, he's, he's, he's weird. It's weird. He's, he's weird. <laughs> he makes me a little uncomfortable actually. Yeah. But- yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, I and mean, he's weird. This, here's weird in a way that laugh. I've seen people who are like this, though not not this specific way, but they're weird in this same way. Especially when, like, after Biff leaves and and the dad talks to uh, his son, sort of, he essentially not code switches, but the tone of his voice after Biff leaves is just like now we're talking father to son, and it's you can see the person that's inside there, and then you can also see the person that he feels like he has to be to the outside yeah. world, and with Biff, and it's just. It's, if it's the movie a, were made now, I think that Crispin Glover's character would have a podcast that nobody listens to in the <laughs> original timeline. I, I think somehow we'd say he's on the spectrum as well, especially yeah. the young version of sure, it, his character. Sure, sure. Um, and, and again, what we're getting here is the con- I, when I when I say Marty needs to find a better timeline, one of the things this movie does that I think is weird, and we can talk about it later, is uh, it, it like it's on Marty's house isn't pleasant. His his it's all exaggerated. His dad gets pushed around by Biff. Um, his siblings are not really doing anything. His brother's working at like McDonald's or something, right? Like it's, yeah, it it's like not a, a great Jeff place Reinhold to from be. Fast times. Yeah. Not a great place to be. If you're Marty, he's, he's not loving and, it. And they're all packed in like the way they frame the shots. They're all kind of crammed into the yeah. table together. It doesn't look like an expansive Norman Rockwell painting. It looks like they're all kind of huddled around mm-hmm. a small table. Uh, this this at home scene has one of the sort of punching above its weight uh, bits that I don't know if it was Crispin Glover or the direction that did it uh, when he's talking to Marty after Biff's leaves saying, I know, I know some, but I'm not good with confrontations. He's leaning his forearm against a, a pillar in the house and his fist is invisible and he makes a fist when he's talking about huh. a not very good at confrontations, echoing the later when they'll have the close up on him slowly making the mm. fist. And if that was the actor doing that, thumbs up. And if that was the movie doing that, good job. Because that good is, I mean, movie. they will. Te- this movie telegraphs everything. Every <laughs> single thing in this movie yeah. is like, oh, I see where that connects later. And the fist is like, 
Look, even if you've gotten all the references, we're going to give you physical references. The first time, there's no way you can know that the climax will be a close-up of him making a fist. But the second time you watch it, when he makes that fist and says, I'm just not very good at confrontations, you go, I see you, movie. Aha. Uh-huh. That's right. Also, we get an important uh, plot point here that uh, Lorraine, his mom, says, when I was your age, I never did things with boys, and then tells the story about how her dad hit George with a car, and that's how they met. What was it you were doing? Sly look? <laughs> Bird watching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, let me take a break to tell you about our sponsor this episode of The Incomparable, brought to you by Porkbun.com. What's in that name? Do they sell you a pork bun? No. No, they don't. Porkbun was named the number one domain name registrar by USA Today, and it's easy to see why they offer hundreds of domain extensions at low prices, powerful web hosting options, and personalized support every day of the year. They've got a domain extension that is perfect for anything you're into. Of course, they've got your .com domains, but they've also got ones like .quest, .gg, .blog, .games, and so many more. They've got it all. Plus, every domain name from Porkbun comes with a ton of freebies like SSL certificates, Whois URL forwarding, web and email hosting trials, and so much more. Because the people at Porkbun don't think you should have to pay for things that should be free. Right now, listeners of The Incomparable can get $1 off their next domain name from Porkbun.com when they click the link in our description or go to Porkbun.com and use code THEINCOMPARABLE24 at checkout. Grab the domain name you want and start sharing what you're passionate about. Porkbun.com code THEINCOMPARABLE24 or just click the link in the show notes. Thank you, Porkbun.com, for supporting The Incomparable. Well... Off to the mall. Say hi um, to your mom for me, Biff says. This is... As, as, as we, as we <laughs> go off to the mall, I just want to say, Michael J. Fox rightly gets tons of credit for how great his performance is and how just lovable he is as Marty McFly. But Christopher Lloyd's performance is also incredibly strong for what he's supposed to do in this movie. And his entrance is unbelievable. Like He, he enters this movie fully committed and fully strong, fully inhabiting that character, mm-hmm. and he never lets it go for a second. And it's, I think it is... As important as uh, Marty's performance throughout. It's like a Kramer. Like, he was Kramer before Kramer, kind yes. of. Like, that 100%. kind of energy. Jim on Taxi was Kramer before yeah, Kramer, exactly, for right. sure. That's uh, not, a, not Kramer versus Kramer, by the way. <laughs> Clear Kramer before Kramer. No Kramer on Kramer violence, please. No. Um, this is also the the Twin Pines Mall sign that we get here with the time. You'll see it twice for now. Uh, but that this is the I, I just oh I'll mention it now because this is a thing that I did not get the first time I saw the movie, but in successive things. And now people say that this is an Easter egg. Our friend Todd Vaziri, who was on an episode recently, will point out that um, this is not an Easter egg. It is a thing that is in the movie, it's which just is part of the movie that it's it's Twin Pines Mall. And then Marty will run over one of the trees after we're told multiple times, John, that the guy who used to own all this land liked to grow pine trees. And when he runs over the pine tree, he says, my tree, my tree. And then it, we come back lines. later. He says it twice. So he hits mm-hmm. the tree and then the guy gets, I believe the guy gets to bemoan the loss of his pine tree twice. They show mm-hmm. the twin pine sign twice. And this is, this, this movie is a great movie for like understanding movies, because if you know how movies are shot, it's so clear the things they want you to see. Like that twin pines mall sign wouldn't be a hundred in the shot and also in focus unless we were supposed to read it the yeah. clock wouldn't be 100 percent in the shot with no part of marty's head touching it with no part of the frame cutting it off unless we were supposed to be looking at the clock like 
there are certain things in these shots where like there's no way that framing is an accident and so if you know the language of film and they show the twin pines mall twice at that point in first viewing you don't know why they're showing it to you but you do know that the filmmakers wanted you to read that sign and then when he runs over the pine tree there are two separate lines separated by a few seconds of action making sure hey if you didn't see it and it was too dark and you couldn't tell that he ran over a pine the guy who's sad about the pine yells about it two times the guy who we were really trying to bring you along oh here's this one fact about the guy who used to own all this land he liked to grow pine trees okay all right and they do it and they they do such a good job like old man peabody loved uh, owned all this land and and then we see the peabody mailbox later i mean it's right he he had this weird thing about pine trees and (laughs) and he does it in a way as it's just like it could have just been a you know a line of like i remember this guy and he was eccentric right they don't do it in a way that makes you think that's going to be an important point but it will it is is it important? I mean, it's kind of not. It's just a fun thing that's there to I show mean, this, you that this all this whole movie is that, about uh, doing things changed. and then paying them off later. So yeah. yeah, every one of these is a little nugget of fun. If you don't get all the nuggets, it's fine. There's plenty to get, but there's well, a lot right. Of them. I, I think it makes it more interesting to view it multiple times and perhaps less interesting to talk about just because there's so many and it's it's more fun to see them and to discover them on subsequent viewings and go oh i never noticed that right. like i i think i can't remember when i noticed the pine trees but it wasn't the first time i saw the Definitely movie not. and i think the movie is so well set up for an audience that won't see all those things including kids who will enjoy what's happening and get the plot which is easy to follow and which is exciting mm-hmm. and which has all the special effects and then when they grow up and see it nostalgically or when their older brothers and sisters see it with them, they're going to find so many more nuggets. And I think that's why it has such staying power is because you can continue to discover stuff as you proceed through the movie. And it is not, a, it doesn't diminish your enjoyment of the movie to miss a lot of those things on the first viewing. Yeah, because there's so there's so many of them. Like, even you miss, miss 50%, it's still a great it's, movie. It's, and as someone who did notice right, the yeah. Pine Trees on the first viewing, I have to say that that, be that first viewing yeah. of how they were constructing this movie, how they were putting it together, I found it so delightful. Delightful yeah. kind of in the same way I got to bring up Siriana, which is a very complicated weird movie that is not like this but Sirana requires you to pay tremendous amount of attention to every little thing otherwise the movie just falls flat and dies mm. that this movie doesn't do that right. yeah, i did not expect to hear Sirana in a discussion of black back to the future <laughs> yeah <laughs> Can I ask question, is what you're saying They're there's enough movies. nerds here that you, you could clarify this for me um you know we get michael j fox asking um where the hell are they referring to einstein the dog and to the delorean and uh, Doc says the appropriate question is when the hell are they which I would say now is a very very common kind of line exchange or trope in time travel related movies but this feels like the first one to it, me I but don't did, think it was it, do we know of it before no, no? Yeah, that, that was my no. question there's a lot of the, the, it's well but when are we where are we when are we it's a time travel thing I would say that I should say the um the introduction of the DeLorean here just to mention this especially for people who have who came to uh, Back to the Future later than 1985 is the that line like you made a time machine out of a DeLorean. It's funny now that the DeLorean is generally mm-hmm. most thought of as being related to Back to the Future because what it is is just a joke. It is a failure of a car. Why mm-hmm. would it be anywhere? And it's meant to be funny that it's a DeLorean. Yeah, it looks cool. It's interesting. It's got the stainless steel and the wing doors and all various other things that Elon Musk has decided to put in his cars now. Okay. Um, but it was a failure. It's a joke. <laughs> That's what yeah, and, and it was. It was exotic. People. Like it was an exotic failure. It yes. was like, oh, so this guy wanted to make a car and he, he not really the Homer Too car, but cocaine. it's like, let's make it as cool as possible. Yada, yada, let's do yada. a bunch of. 
yeah, do a bunch of things that, that a normal car maker wouldn't do for good reasons uh, and not, you know, not make it work. And yeah, now it's totally uh, associated with this. This whole scene of like the explaining time travel, pretty good, pretty economical job of giving like, you know, the seven year olds you're watching it the mm-hmm. basic idea of like, look, our clocks, they're synchronized. He's one minute into the future. Here comes the car. All very tight. Uh, you know, I not over explaining. I don't. I, I, that moment has always worked for me. Um, in terms of what John was just describing, it's meant to do, but I don't fully understand why Einstein's clock is different when he comes back. Like what exactly has happened there? Because at <laughs> right. no other time, at no other times. time do we have that as a thing. Because <laughs> the travel was instantaneous. It's for instantaneous. Him. So one minute, he's one minute behind now because his clock didn't experience that minute. Yeah. He jumped yeah. ahead over that minute. Um, and this, this is borne out actually, cause you know, sometimes in time travel and things, there's like, oh, we're going through mm-hmm. the time sphere and zoom, we're going here and where, oh, and now we've ended up in time. And, uh, Einstein is exactly one minute behind or because he's gone one minute ahead in time. And when Marty goes, uh, as he is about to, um, it, back in time, it, it, we're going to go back in time. Anyway, uh, mm-hmm. he it's instantaneous, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Like it, there's no magical time zone you travel through you just immediately are in the next time and so in this case einstein is has just uh lost a minute because he didn't experience the minute that they did the whole the minute we see them talking about it einstein's clock is not ticking because he instantly skipped from where he went back to the minute in the future so that's why his thing i i just just think it's odd because at no other point do we have those that that specific kind of circumstance where like somebody's watch hasn't advanced or somebody's time is just ever so trying to establish that it's a time machine yeah it's it's the it's the it's the explanation bit that you get later on in another movie uh, when uh, parallel <laughs> timelines get explained. But you've got to take a little bit of time to explain how time travel so works in this, in this language of the Tr- movie. Trust Chip. Yeah. He's a 100%. professional yeah, when it comes and, to time and this travel. Movie, just like the, uh, the, the spaceships in Star Wars travel at the speed of plot, uh, the science in this movie is Hollywood emotional truth science, mm-hmm. probably of the highest oh, degree, yeah. because nothing makes any actual sense, but everything makes perfect kind of Hollywood movie sense. I enjoy that the explanation of where Einstein has gone lasts a minute, that that uh, at the end of it, Doc's like, oh, geez, and they have yeah. to step away because now he reemerges exactly where he was before because now it's been a minute ahead. The Libyans, uh, who, from <sighs> whom the plutonium oh, was gosh. stolen, stock villains from the 80s, although mm-hmm. I enjoy that they're in like a Volkswagen uh, the band. bus, yeah, oh, that's bus. so good. That's good. I do want to say, spoilers for the musical. If you do see Back to the Future, the musical, they they eliminate um, 80s foreigner terrorism uh, <laughs> racism, let's say. Okay, you substitute modern day foreigner terrorism racism. Wow, they no, eliminate racism. That's inst- a lot to expect from a musical <laughs> Back to the Future. Instead, the, the, the risk to Doc is uh, a plutonium issue, not like a, a radiation poisoning issue as ah, opposed to... And the Libyans. Libyans. Uh, well, yeah. they have those painter suits on. I don't understand why there would be any threat. <laughs> yeah, and and this is this is sort of where I'll just sort of rip the bandaid off real quick, um, and then sort of lay out. And, and Jason, you kind of a, sort of alluded to it when we were talking about the speaker. Mm-hmm. These are the moments because it had been so long since I had seen BTTF, and I hadn't um, had the continual exposure to it over the last, honestly, the couple last couple of decades. Um, it's moments like these and some of the, shall we say, peril that uh, Marty's mom is put through and things like that. Those are the moments that I kind of bounced off of in terms of this is 
this is a product of the 80s and it's not sitting well with me now. So that was sort of the experience that I had going through the going through the movie of um, enjoying and um, getting into um, everything that we're about to talk to. But also, this isn't how I remembered it. This is actually um, this is actually dated in a couple of ways that um, that I'm not enjoying as much. Exactly how I remembered it because I remember at the time I'm like these are the most cartoonishly yes. racist terrorist villains you've ever like they don't even try I don't even think yeah, they have they them don't. speaking a real language they're just yeah. like they're just it, muttering and and exactly and they're, and they're, per, they're perpetually angry they're like it's just how many eighties movies have this and then a rocket launcher yeah it is it is. Yeah, an RPG, the the machine gun, yeah. even down to the sound that the machine guns make. This is 100% again parts bin 80s racist terrorist stereotype. <laughs> like, However, what I like about it is that it creates this this darkness that propels Marty back in time because mm-hmm. Doc is machine gunned to death, falls to the ground in a kids, the movie. In in a a kids movie. movie. Yeah. M- Marty is like Doc, Doc no, also the Actual lines of dialogue will come back a second time because we will uh-huh. play it again at the end of the movie, which is the part of the movie that blew, blew my mind when I was a kid. I was like, or when I was a teenager, I was like, whoa, we already saw the scene and now we're seeing it through his eyes and he's there. Yeah, but wait, it's just, the whoa, right? Like, it's great, <laughs> but we have to play it here. But it is like Doc has been executed by the Libyan terrorists and now they're going to try to kill Marty. He dives into the DeLorean and then... It, 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 <laughs> Well, maybe not how I would have strategically chosen to run away from guys with guns in a mall parking lot is go, to just sort wouldn't of you go in circles? slowly make the turns and go down the lanes or whatever. Which but he does that. Oh, by the way, speaking of this parking lot, I, when I was watching this in the modern day, I'm thinking this parking lot is huge and they had to wet down the whole, the whole parking lot to give it like that. they didn't just wet down a street or whatever they wet down this whole parking lot i can just how many like rain trucks did it take to yeah. wet down a parking lot of this size it's it probably Zemeckis. one of their big costs. steven spielberg <laughs> steven spielberg's like we gotta wet it all down um but it does it looks great and they he does get up to 88 miles an hour obviously as they're getting out the rocket launcher and he disappears and then uh, like, by the let's way let's see if you guys can do 90 but we know the number's 88 <laughs> yeah, we, you'll we never do. get to 90 it's, we know it's not gonna get there um uh, but uh good news everybody and this will wrap around at the end the good news is i guess the terrorists are killed by the photo booth <laughs> because <laughs> well, in never the 80s a when a vehicle hits a building it and explodes. stops it moving explodes. usually mm-hmm. explodes which doesn't happen in this one no budget for the explosion but we just suffice it to say that the cartoon terrorists have been neutralized in a cartoon fashion i feel yes. the guy who was firing the rocket out of the top uh i, I don't think he made it when he when they impacted with the yeah. fox well, and, photo and that, instant photo booth the it's rpg the map. rocket propelled grenade staple mm-hmm. of 80s movies. yeah yeah oh yeah staple. and the, the machine guns too like you nothing says 80s more like more than uh than like an, an yeah. uzi that is very 80s that's that's what baddies uh, uh, had and spe- speaking 80s. of emotional truth when the doc is demonstrating the times on the time machine we could go anywhere we could see you know, the mayflower wedding whatever <laughs> let's go see the birth of christ and he puts in december 25th like mm, yeah I, zero. every time i watch this i'm like it shouldn't he doesn't he was he a science major than that? but that's yeah, the joke it's intended to be it, it, it it's not I don't think it's a mistake. I think it's a joke. It's just showing. Oh the no, docket. for sure. But yeah. it, it it also would have thrown. It's just very uh, yeah, it would have yeah. thrown a whole bunch of Middle America uh, viewers out of it if they said uh, for 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 BCE or something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. No, he's not gonna. The dial doesn't go back. I, I chuckled. I I thought it was funny. Yeah, 
You're not going to get uh, 1.21 gigawatts in uh, the year zero. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> and when he goes back in time, I think he ends up at your house, Jason. Uh, yeah, basically back to the back to the um, gold rush. Yes, he he ends up at my house. Um, there's Hill Valley, Mill Valley, and also where they go in the third movie, which is literally where I grew up. Anyway, you're you're the, you're the kid with the with the comic book in this movie. I'm uh, pretty close, pretty close. That's I right. I want to say that Doc Brown shows. That's why I love Star Trek so much. <laughs> In in another lens, when you you know, because I watched the movie as a kid, and now I'm watching it as a dad. Doc Brown, a really good man in the scene with the the Libyan attack, because he immediately says to Marty, yeah. "I'll draw their fire," and yeah. I appreciated that. Like he is there to take care of the boy. Like good for him. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. All of a sudden, Marty is back in time. He hits a scarecrow. Um, there is... A pine tree. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> a, a, a pine tree. Different, different point. Ends up in a barn. Uh, they think that he's a, a kid, you know, the kid, the kid's reading a sci-fi magazine and he says, oh, look, he's a space alien. And then, then when Marty comes out and, and is not dressed in his, uh, his little, uh, I don't know what bunny suit, they're like, oh, he already changed, right? Like they're just assuming he's a shape changing monster and Marty has to get out of there crushing the pine trees, but then discovers dun dun dun. The lion estates entryway is there, but nothing behind it. He's gone. He truly has gone back in time and uh the, there's no neighborhood uh where he grew up it's not there yet so he hides the car behind a billboard and walks into town where there is no porn theater and no jazzercise and a functioning clock tower huh and a different we, we saw goldie uh wilson was running for mayor progress was his middle name back in the 80s now there's a different mayor progress still his middle name though that's what it takes to win mm-hmm. in hill that, valley that is the back to the future level of political satire that politics yep. never changed sound trucks yep. do not go out of style even after 30 years <laughs> that's right that's a right. lot of internet debate over whether the voice of the sound truck is phil hartman uh, there's no confirmation. Sounds or a lot like him. Knowledge on who it is. I'm not sure, sure it, it is him, like but him. it sounds very much like Phil Hartman. It wouldn't shock me yeah. if that was a a quick uh, voiceover job that Phil Hartman got. A pre-fame um, Phil Hartman, yeah. Just pre-fame, I think. Maybe even. Yes. Um, unless you consider all the album covers he painted in the <laughs> 70s, but most people don't. Even now, this is another was, scene look it that up, propels it's true. you propels you through this set with a background of not Huey Lewis but Mr. Sandman mm-hmm. right this is one of the when you conjure images of this movie I picture the Mr. Sandman thing and all the revelations and again uh, they show on the marquee that Ronald Reagan is in a movie but then they also have a sandwich board sign that shows that Ronald Reagan is in a movie you've got the gas station with all the attendants running out to mm-hmm. put air in your tires every time like you get like it's NASCAR yeah yeah exactly so real, real quick old movie diversion so there were two movies of Reagan's from the 50s that were always brought up in jokes of the 80s one was bedtime for bonzo and one was cattle queen of montana which is what we see here yeah. neither of those movies are any good or survived the 50s but they became huge jokes during ronald reagan's presidency and so people in the 80s would have laughed at that mm-hmm. for sure for sure we get a who's on first bit 
when he goes in the diner because he says, <laughs> oh uh, you know, you want to order something? And he's like, uh, a tab. Uh, well, I, I, you haven't ordered anything. I can't put it on your tab. He says, I'll have a Pepsi free. You're going to have to pay for that, kid. Yeah, oh, these are the jokes, folks. A little back and, and forth. Every time I watch that, I'm like, kids today don't understand what the joke is. Yeah. Yep. Pepsi free. Pepsi and- free. No. Wow, that blows my mind. I love that. I hadn't even thought about that. That's that's great. Or Tab, frankly. Tab's still around, but nobody cares. This movie has the uh, Pepsi product placement. Like earlier when he's at home in the house, there's one shot where they they surely told him, okay, Marty, you you don't have any lines in the shot, but you need to hold the Pepsi Pepsi. can up with the logo facing the camera and don't block it with your fingers. So this is one really awkward Mm -hmm. scene where you see Marty holding his can out above the table, floating it above the table, tilted slightly with the logo facing the camera for no earthly reason other than the product placement. It's it's money. Yeah, Toyota and Pepsi paid, paid dearly. Uh, we see a confrontation between Biff, young young Biff and young George here. Uh, I just want to say, Tom Wilson. I love Tom Wilson, and I love Biff. Biff, Biff is great. He's terrible, but he but you know what I mean, right? He's great. Mm-hmm. Make like a, t- a tree and get out of here. And he's in the other, you know, he's in the other movies too. And I, you know, I just I I appreciate Tom Wilson. Every time I watch Back to the Future, I'm like, oh, look at that guy. I just I enjoy his performance a lot. He he, he went hard, like everybody in this movie did. But I really think that um, that Crispin Glover. Tom Wilson oh, yeah. and Michael J. Fox, like they in Christopher Lloyd, they went hard for this movie. <laughs> they were like, this, this is, this is the performance of my lifetime and I'm going to give it my all. Yeah. And I really, I love it. And for Tom Wilson, it certainly is, but it is great. He, and he is, yeah, it's great. He comes in and yells McFly and they both turn around. They both so turn around in the same pose with their hand on their head. This movie has no shame. Oh. It will charm you. You cannot stop it. I love it. I love it. Uh, Goldie gives him a pep. Uh, he gets a pep talk. And he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna be mayor one day." He's like, yeah, no, he, sa- he says, "I'm gonna be somebody." He says, "Yeah, you're gonna be mayor." mayor that's right. And he's like, "Mayor." See, this huh? scene makes hmm. me angry because it makes me feel good about the potential racial politics right. of this movie. <laughs> yeah. And um, then yeah. I'm, you know, then it all goes to hell. But well, you know. I, mean, I would say that's the the first moment of several that uh, I will give the movie a pass on because now we're it was 1985 getting better. But like one of several moments where we create. Even in its Hollywood time travel logic, some some very odd paradoxes. Like because Marty didn't always go back to the future or do back to the past, mm-hmm. right? And right. so like at some and point he was the mayor. For mayor. Yes. It's called the bootstrap paradox. Uh, time travel exactly. movies love them. I want to save to the end some debates about how time travel works in Back to the Future, but I think this is something that we should bookmark, which is the the is this a bootstrap paradox? Did he make a different change here? Uh, is he just changing the trajectory of Goldie running for mayor, but not actually being the initial inceptor of the idea i don't know it's it's a movie but i do i do have some thoughts but we should we should get on because he chases he chases george to a tree where we find that he is peeping uh he's a peeping tom he's peeping on uh on lorraine right up in Mm -hmm. the up in her window yeah um so that is what's happening here uh bird watching in, in the 80s like the number of 80s movies that consider both like both this and also <laughs> casual sexual assault as just oh boy oh, we'll like, get to that later because i have thoughts <laughs> yeah i mean at yeah. least this movie paints sexual assault as bad at least it does yes, that but, ish, ish. ish we have thoughts <laughs> right but but the peeping tom is this is played a hundred percent for laughs it's like yes. isn't it funny that he's doing that yeah right. 
And then, oh, it means, no, it's it's almost even like, oh, and it means he's sweet on her, which is going to work out in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah. we know that in our timeline, or in the original timeline, uh, he gets hit by the car. But of course, what happens here is Marty pushes him out of the way, and Marty gets hit by the car, thereby jeopardizing everything. There is a very funny moment later where Doc Brown says, now, you didn't do anything where you saw me. And he's like, well, I went and saw mm-hmm. my parents. He's like, oh, no, right? Like, oh, what did you do? Uh, it's a great moment. But I want to po- po- point out one of my very favorite somewhat below the radar very favorite lines from this movie which happens at this point which is lorraine's dad gets out of the car having hit marty (laughs) and says honey another one of those damn kids jumped out in front of my car what again these people are constantly running over kids right it just keeps happening this is like the fifth kid he's hit this week i mean why and it's them it's obviously not me it's them they just jump right out in front of me. So he's a serial kid car runner in her, I guess. Anyway. Um, Maybe yeah. that's why Joey's in jail. Maybe it's hereditary. Maybe. Yeah. Exactly. Jailbird Joey is behind bars, by the way, when we go inside. He's yes. in the crib. So good. So that is such. On oh, the nose, but so good. Chef's kiss. Oh. Oh, and then, of course, to John's point, it's funny. But then Michael J. Fox has to say, huh. Maybe he really gets used to no, he being behind bars, bars or whatever kid. it is. Yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah. These bars, kid. Let's just read. And then the parents also make it. another joke about it, right? The the his Because they say that he they he only wants to be. Like, he it's likes actually it kind there. of sad He loves me. it in he there. They make the same joke twice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's a hamina hamina. You're my ma. You're my ma. Uh, uh. Well, yeah, and that scene, I think they cheated a little bit because they have her, they have Leah Thompson do the older mom voice when she's yes, waking him up to make it course. seem like what he hears is the older mom voice, but of course, what he sees is the younger mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's that was true. one of the thirstiest performances. Uh, Howard the Duck came out the next year, so get ready <laughs> for so, that. I mean, let's. <laughs> this feels like the right moment to have the this a quick conversation on this part because a huge element of this story is that Marty's mom is going to fall in love with Marty. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it is mm. it's funny and it's done really well and it's smart but like it is amazing to me that that's the way they decided to tell this story. And I I'm not saying I have a better way to tell this story but like even, whether it was 1985 or 2024 it's a lot to say hey let's have a plot where the kid's mom unknowingly falls in love with her own son and then leading up to he's gonna put moves on her and have to kiss her and be stopped by his future like it's that's crazy that that's the plot line they landed on is the way to tell <laughs> I, the story i think that's there was crazy. some pushback at the time but it stayed in which is interesting because the, you know, the studio was like that's kind of weird but at the yeah, same time I, mean, I don't uh, know if it was more pronounced in the version that would have gone uh, before the studio got involved but it seems pretty you have to deal with it as if you were this movie and it's like ah, i mean ah. i think it makes sense because like you see or first of all you see uh young lorraine is uh, an extremely horny teenage girl uh, which you wouldn't have guessed from the future one uh, but marty is so much cooler than the other people and then basically anyone in the town i mean right. Pat, future marty in his regular time was also very cool and comparing marty to his future dad here of course lorraine would be into him and i th- you know marty's Plus the mother free- hen thing right because he yeah. got hurt by the car which is how it right works but, but even originally. forgetting that he is so much cooler than his dad well, in every possible way he stands up for himself yes. he's wisecracking well, but he's, the fact he's, that he's cooler than george doesn't mean she has to fall in love with him it, but, as opposed but he's to also george, like the, the most impre- he's a stranger in town he's the new kid at the school and he's right super that's cool. the point i was going to make is that it's not comparing him to george it's just simply that by virtue of him being so novel and this weird creature who is in her bed basically mm-hmm. yeah. that it, it well, makes sense that she yeah. would fall for him regardless of whether george is in the picture or not 
And she took his pants off too. So yeah, like she's right. really, you know, <laughs> she knows that he's wearing the Calvin Klein underwear. Calls him Calvin. Um, it, it is, you know, it does, it doesn't bother me because on one level it's the people often are, um, attracted to people who look a lot like them and then their children look a lot like them too. And so I'm like, eh. I mean, she says she looks so familiar and it's like, mm, yeah, okay. But I, I, it doesn't, I agree with Lex. It is a banana's choice, but it doesn't bother me. I, yeah, I think it's, I, I think it works funny great because I think, I think that's part of what audiences love in this movie then, because everyone can has, recognize how awkward it would be. And Marty has no temptation, right? Which there are, yeah. there are other much lesser 80s time travel movies that I have seen that involve going back in time and falling in love and becoming your own grandparent or whatever, right? And so this sort of like, that's not going to happen, right? Like that that is clearly off the table because Marty knows. And so it we can play it for laughs because Marty has to deflect all of her affections. And so I think that's one of the reasons it works. Right. I think Marty's reaction and not even, oh, I shouldn't do this. He completely rejects it. There's no world in which he's going to yeah. respond to her. Yeah, yeah, right. And I think that he's standing in for the audience there. And I think it works. Now, do I have issues with the way they chose to, to do Lorraine in the past and then in the future? Yes, I do. But... As far as the way they handle this quote unquote incest plot and Marty's reaction to it, I'm fine with it because Michael J. Fox and Marty make it not seem like it's going to be a possibility. Whatever happens in the rest of the movie, he's not going to let it go to places it shouldn't go. Mm -hmm. uh, he does track down Doc Brown. Uh, who lives on uh, a road that will eventually be John F. Kennedy Drive, but it's not. Who the hell is John F. Kennedy? Yeah. yeah. Um, would, would, would they have not known who John F. Kennedy was? Because the Kennedys were still a big deal. Well, yeah, okay. In the 50s, Kennedy, he's a senator. He would have had, to people who follow politics, he probably would have been known. He's This is before he is tapped to be vice president in 1956. He wasn't on the ticket, but he, he was potentially a vice presidential candidate in 56. So by this time, he's sort of like a mid-level politician and people who knew, would have known who his father was, sort of. But regular people who don't follow politics... I think it's perfectly plausible for them yeah. to say who's John F. Kennedy. Especially, Especially if they're not in California, not yeah. Massachusetts. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the Brown Mansion, uh, which we, we you know, he sold all the stuff in order to build the time machine. That's something that we got earlier as well. He's working on a telepathic helmet. It doesn't work. He says, uh, doesn't work. <laughs> this is another one of those. Um, but uh, Marty reveals that you you did build something. You built a time machine and that I'm from the future and I came back here. Well, oh, how am I doing in the future? Anyway, uh, let's talk about me and how I get out of this. Well, who's president? Ronald Reagan. The actor? The actor? It's ridiculous. I love how economically this scene is handled because yes. obviously when people in time travel movies confront people that shouldn't, that they shouldn't know each other, mm -hmm. you could go through a lot of wait, what? Huh? And convincing him. And because it's Doc Brown and because it's Marty and because we as the viewers know what's happened, it's just handled in a really economical way. And I just love Doc Brown's reaction. I love that he's got questions, but that he doesn't ultimately think, oh, you're lying to me. Yeah. Come on, kid. You're ridiculous. The flux capacitor finally does it. Right? It shows in the photo at first. Yeah. It says this crude photographic forgery, you cut off the top of your brother's head, which is a plot point. <laughs> yes. But oh, also yes. <laughs> shows that the doc is initially skeptical of like, oh, great. You got a fake ID and a picture with a fake T-shirt on it it's you know ridiculous but obviously marty ha contains the information that like no one could possibly know about the toilet seat or whatever and that's the convincer mm -hmm. yeah the flux capacitor does it he finally invented something that works he says yeah um and so there's that moment uh, a bolt of lightning we can we get we have to send you back 
to the future. Well, it's we, the we get gigawatts. Future. We talk yeah, about we gigawatts. Uh, we, gigawatts are, we got gigawatts earlier, but they're back now. Uh, this is an era where giga as a prefix was not known. Mm-hmm. Correct. And I giga do, was so an accepted pronunciation at the time. Yeah, does anyone know if like they just didn't care how it was pronounced or there was two pronunciations and they That's picked this Lex one? That's what Lex says. Like, Lex says th- that you could There were absolutely say two pronunciations. This, this is very Googleable. But yeah, there, there were two pronunciations right. and all other Romance languages use the soft G for it as well. But there, it was, the, the gigawatt pronunciation simply yeah. wasn't popular. I'll, also, I'll point Gigas out that funnier. this is the 80s when the, uh, when the uh, graphics interchange format was invented, which its creator also, <laughs> also called GIF instead of GIF, even though most people do it the other way. Uh, Got to go back in well, time. Time has not been kind to either gigawatts or GIF. Yeah, sure. I guess not. <laughs> uh, anyway, honestly, so you, choosing moms choose both. You, you a lot leaning a lot of gigawatts there. Your brother's head is gone. You've interfered with history. We get the recurring again, just because it's funny. We get the heavy. Wait, has nothing to do with it. Why is there yeah. more gravity in the future? We get a lot of that going on here. But he's telling them the rules. Um, and you know, oh, I this is my parents. He's like, no, we gotta figure this out. And he's like, okay, we're, here's the plan. I am gonna try to figure out how to get you back to the future, and you are gonna get your parents back together so that uh, history isn't changed. Ready, break. Right. That that's the that's the <laughs> plan here. Um, and so so we get off. Strickland, we see again. <laughs> Same old guy. Don't hang around with Doc Brown. Uh, they are trying and trying and trying to get George to connect with Lorraine. Uh, Biff tells Marty to make like a tree and get out of here. Um, and then it leads to Marty convincing George in the only way that he can figure out, which is to play Van Halen over headphones into his ears while wearing his bunny suit and say, I am Darth Vader from planet Vulcan. Cause you gotta be ecumenical. You gotta get the star Wars and the star Trek together. And, and at that point it's, it's very much like the scene in real genius where they wire Kent's braces and then God speaks to him directly mm-hmm. where it's like, we got to have this character do what we say. So we're going to lie to him. That's this what's going to happen. Gag. Yep. Straight from a sitcom. Yep. 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 Uh, it, but, it's interesting that that George's life isn't long term affected by that part. <laughs> there's yeah. there's or, no long lasting trauma or, like, or, or when, when Star Wars and Star Trek come out, he's got to be thinking Darth Vader, Vulcan. I know, and you know he remembers it because he wrote a whole book about he it. Wrote, he read, writes his book about it. That's right. I mean, yeah. selective selective memories. They somehow don't remember that uh, their son grew up to look like that Marty they knew thirty <laughs> yeah. years ago. Yeah, they didn't no. take any pictures of him. They just named named him after that that mysterious stranger. Marty, Marty. that's a nice name. It's a nice. So they waited for, for the third kid to give him the name. <laughs> um, so this is the uh, we we get more of that. Uh, we we get more of the the uh, connections. Uh, he doesn't really make a collection to Lorraine. Connection to Lorraine. He's like, I'm your density. It's very awkward. Biff comes in. Uh, Biff's presence in the in the diner stops the jukebox from playing, which I think is funny. <laughs> it's like it works in the dramatic things are happening. The music stops. <laughs> it's like, Oh wow. Biff with his mind. He's like the anti Fonzie. His presence <laughs> breaks the jukebox. It's amazing. Um, that's a reference uh, from the seventies. Mm-hmm. Sorry, everybody. Um, anyway, so then there's a, there's a chase, uh, uh, Marty invents the skateboard or, or <laughs> Marty, Marty takes a, a, a scooter from a kid who will grow up to invent the skateboard, I guess, mm-hmm. after the kid sees Marty. How do you know skate- he's not the one who invented it? Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Um, uh, anyway, they, they, uh, <laughs> and then in a, in a wonderful moment, uh, the chase between Marty and Biff and his crew ends with them plowing into 
uh, manure uh, just happens to be parked truck full of manure in the middle of the town square. And as they crash into it, they all shout. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Nailed it. And and it is a cool move where he jumps. He lets the skateboard go and runs over the car and catches the skateboard back on the other side of it. Yeah. It's a very Indiana Jones, actually. Right. In that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marty McFly is incapable of not being cool, honestly. And there's I, I there's almost a bit of a I think I think they when they were looking at Back to the Future two and three, uh, looking for things that they wanted to riff on, on. I think one of the things is Marty is incapable of not standing up to Biff. Um, when, when things happen, even though the sensible thing might, from a time travel perspective might be to recede into the background and not look cool in front of (laughs) Lorraine, Biff's got to go down. Yeah. Yeah. And it only makes her like him more. So there's, he's he's also got that Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones thing going. The actor does essentially because he's doing all these cool things, but the entire time he, he is anxious. He is worried. The expression on his face does not exude confidence. It's like an Indiana Jones face where he's just like. Uh, calamity after calamity befalls him, but he perseveres. But uh, are kind of like uh, John McClane in Die Hard. He is a vulnerable right. hero who is not sure that he's going to make it out of it. And so his main expression during all these chase scenes is he's anxious and worried and panicking and trying to figure out what to do. And only at the very end, when the manure falls, does he get the little twinkly, uh, you know, <laughs> twinkle on his teeth smile. Oh, you know, won. which is why I think he's so appealing to a mass audience because if he was really cool and and only cool. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people would feel like they could relate to him or connect to him. And they might even, you know, worry that maybe he's going to mack on his mom or whatever it is. But he is a relatable. He's he's somebody who's doing the right thing, but he's doing so from a place of unease and anxiety. And I think and, but without being neurotic about it. And I think that's just so appealing. And that's kind of Mike, mm-hmm. Michael J. Fox's secret sauce, because he's he's not a tall person. He's not a Hollywood good looking guy. He's not unattractive, but he's not. You know, super good. He's not a you know matinee idol kind of guy. He's got like boyish, he's boyish charm. Yeah, he's boyish, boyish good charm, looks. Yeah. And again, he's like twenty four, twenty five when he makes this movie. And so he's really working to inhabit a seventeen, eighteen year old boy who is justifiably anxious about what's going to happen, but who also makes things happen in a way that works out for the movie. And I, I think that's just that's that's great secret sauce for this movie, yeah. and why it's great. That and he it's was a great cast. pairing for a character who has been written as you know, thanks to his upbringing and uh, things like that, has a little bit of uh, self confidence issues. A mm-hmm. little bit of you know, he's not as bad as his father was at that age, but um, you know. There, there is some humility baked into uh, this uh, Michael J. Fox character. He doesn't have the truck. No, yeah. but, but it is. Right. I mean, the, the the interesting thing, like if you wanted to interrogate it, everybody in his family is kind of a screw up, except for him. How did he come out the way he came out? And the way they, you know, we'll get to the end, I suppose. But but the way they define success at the end is everybody has the suit or the truck or whatever yeah, right. it is that job. is the definition yeah. of success. Yeah. But right now, he's still a lot more successful than anybody in the rest of his family in the original timeline, which is. Again, something I just don't want to. Th- I think about it because I can't help it. Yeah. But if I thought about it too much, I wouldn't. I mean, every family has kids like that sometimes. Although I would say, is he? 
Is he though? Because he's like yeah. he wants he's to kind, be. He, he he's like someday, he's a, Jennifer. He, he I'm gonna get out of this stinking town. You know what I mean? He hasn't had reality crush him yet, but I'm not clear that he has risen above it. That he's like he, he's, 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 he's potentially he's, you know, in danger of ending up like the rest of his family. He's got the skateboard. He plays guitar. He has a girlfriend. He's got a, pretty girlfriend, he's got a friendship right? with a scientist. Like, right. Sure. Exactly. So <laughs> you know, he's a little bit two off. of the three things you need in the eighties. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he does. He's found a life outside his home. Right. He's found Doc Brown to be his yes. friend. He's got a girlfriend who's level headed. They both seem to have the same kind of stakes in the relationship. So it's not like he's pressuring her to do something she right. doesn't want to do or that she's unhappy or whatever. It feels like he's got all the makings of being a much more successful adult than his parents. But he clearly cares about his family and also his siblings, who are these minor sort of, you know, set pieces. Uh, so, as I say, like you could interrogate it, but I choose to mention it on a podcast and enjoy the movie without thinking about it. Too okay, much. Thank you. Sure. I, and I think that you can't <laughs> cast Michael J. Fox in the ro- role and make Marty McFly a a base level screw up like his or a sad sack like his uh siblings i think that you just know, until the sequel I, go with I, it i just well yeah right. until the sequel but I, I i would say when i see marty in the beginning i don't think that he's a screw up like his siblings i i think he is feels that he is in danger of ending up like them and yeah, is try, yeah. but it's still in the balance like that he has not succeeded in transcending his family he's still afraid that he's going to end up like them even though we you know he's not going to but but he wants to and i don't know that speaking of timelines i don't know the timelines of these movies i'm going to rattle off but uh this is the michael j fox character from secret of my success doc hollywood like he plays this essentially the same character in a lot of movies are these all after yeah he's playing adult characters later like by now he's played like teen wolf and high school usa he's all playing high school kids and he's again he's like 24 years old he's of dominion stature and eventually he'll play adults that have a lot in common with his younger self but maybe a little less anxiety but they're still kind of like striving and his mannerisms his physical comedy like that he does that shtick in a bunch of movies in the 80s mostly to good effect those aren't those movies aren't as good as this movie but his performance in them is he's he's good at delivering the michael j fox that you want to see it just so happens in this movie he was put into a better movie where he gets to deliver that teen wolf was released the month after back to the future by the way just the month <laughs> after wow what a summer of michael but j fox Damn i think it. he had made but, it before yeah i think so. that's right yeah was made but this is i think uh michael j fox's last very canadian performance too if you watch it with your canadian hat on you'll you'll hear a lot of especially when he says sorry sorry <laughs> you'll, you'll hear you'll hear a lot of the canada in marty still in still working on it doc uh is uh watching his and marveling at the camcorder technology which we all i i, I don't know i assume laugh at now at, at enormous VHS i'm marveling his ability to connect it to his tv like i'm, I'm marveling yeah, his ability I to thought about that, that too. But those that camcorder is very familiar to me. I I had one of those things yeah. on my shoulder at oh, yeah, some point me in my young years. He's watching his death over and over again. But what what I uh, Lex I I actually made this point while we were watching it is if it was from today it would be a digital device and it could never get on that TV. Yeah. But this is an analog device where you could you could wire it in and and especially you could since he's a work. scientist he could do the RF connection the RF like, modulator it, it, to get it to work. It's yeah. Pretty easy to do. And he's not watching his death. He's watching right before his death. Run for yeah, it, he Marty. He does watch his death. Yes, but I mean now, really. I, Doc really has, I think, I mean, if we ignore the time travel aspect of this movie, he has a a character plot 
hole to me because he's like he tells marty you've given my life meaning by telling me that time travel works like by telling me this invention is going to work you have you have given my life meaning and you've given me so much hope also don't tell me anything about the future because it could screw things right up. yeah <laughs> like the, those two thoughts are at odds with each other <laughs> yes well I, th- I think it makes sense because he says just as you've endangered yours see what you've done by knowing the future i can't know anything in the future but like I, the part of the reason this movie works is that in the ending where he does he's like he figured what the hell he's human he's, yeah. he's he does what right. the audience says you know he's not he's not so he, rigid that he's going to stick to his code to his own detriment he's gonna be like nah, i yeah, would also I would say the that. damage is the damage is done so far but he's trying to get marty to limit the damage going forward a little bit is what he's trying to do i another thing by the way that i love about this movie that i don't think gets enough attention i'm going to say here was where he explains the plan to marty and says in one of it, the greatest if not the greatest hanging of lanterns in the history of movies he says excuse the crudity of the model to explain (laughs) his exactly perfect model of the entire downtown of hill valley he didn't have time to paint it or to make it to scale i'm pretty (laughs) sure it is to scale it's not painted but i'm pretty sure it is i think it is the the other thing is when uh this is also kind of uh a, a one of the nods that they only do once but i'll give it to him um when the car goes off the end of the thing and is on fire uh, what the flaming car hits the thing we all have in our house, which is the pile of oily rags, right? Because <laughs> we all we all have a pile of, of oily course. rags. Of course, how do you floor. mop up your oil right? otherwise? And so it hits the pile of oily rags, and as we know, the the brown mansion does burn down. But this time, he's got the fire extinguisher and he puts it out. I just feel like if you have a po- pile of oily rags in your house, maybe clean that up. Mm. That wild take when the when he starts when the, the fire starts. Ah! Peak Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. It's, it's a, a Roger Rabbit take, yeah. Might as well um, have cartoon eyes come out of his mm-hmm. head. Uh, so there, you know, Lorraine asks Marty to ask her to the dance. Marty's trying to get George to go to the dance. He writes a letter to Doc about the fact that he's going to get shot to tell him to avoid it. He uh, reads it out loud because we don't <laughs> yes. want the audience to have to read in this uh, kind of movie. Yeah, exactly. His handwriting right. is terrible. Marty has a lot of thinking out loud to do in this movie at various scenes it's, so that we true. don't have to just wonder what's in his head. It's trying to help. It's trying to help. Speaking of somebody who hates when I have to read during movies, not because of any cognitive load, it's just visually it's a pain in the butt. So I'm very happy when things are read out loud to me in a movie. Yeah, mo- most yeah. movies do it, Dear and but it's it's difficult God. to find a way to do it that reads that doesn't seem awkward. And in this movie, they just literally have him read it out loud, sitting alone, and somehow because of the the atmosphere of the rest of the movie, you're like yeah, sure, just saves yeah. me having to he's, read it. He's and trying his, to his handwriting is bad. He's defying his, Doc's wishes there, so there's a little emotion over it that makes it have mm-hmm. a little more right. um, of a punch to it. At the dance, uh, we get to meet uh, Marvin Barry and the Starlighters, who are going to play. They're the band for the evening. Marty parks with Lorraine, uh, discovers again that his mom, who is basically a nun, she has a flask. She lights a cigarette. Uh, he's like, compl- she's, parked she's like before. Yeah, she's parked before. She's like, come on, Marty, don't be such a square. And he's like, oh, <laughs> what is happening here? Uh, that's all very funny. George is waiting. Um, she tries, uh, Lorraine tries to kiss Marty. And in this moment, it's very funny because you're like, oh boy, this is going to be awkward. And then she's like, no, this is bad. It's all wrong. I'm sorry. And she's immediately turned off, which is like the universe saying we also have the universe itself has taboos against incest, lightning bolt, uh, but you know, not the one that's going to come later. Don't do this, but whatever it is, we dodge a bullet there. She's just like kissing my brother, uh, which is great. Crisis averted, except, oh no, Biff is here. And that's going to be bad because Biff 
would like is a sexual assaulter. Biff, Biff would like to <laughs> yeah. sexually assault her and tells his lackeys to kind of like beat it, and then they they mess around with the band, which is those lackeys are super dumb. It's a great <laughs> moment when the band gets out and they're like, "What the hell are you doing?" Uh, that 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 is enjoyable because Marty's locked. Marty gets locked in the tr- in the trunk of the band's car with the keys. With the also, keys, they, they give Biff the line. Um, get out of here this isn't a peep show like mm-hmm. now now biff suddenly has morals like yeah. let's, let's protect he just wants a little marty privacy here. for his assault well, it, they do yep. have, so marty is in here and he's his point whole point is marty's supposed to assault his mother but when it when it comes like he this is the plan he came up with which is not a great plan but it is a plan and when it comes time to execute the plan he's like oh now i have to sexually assault my mother and he is not up for it can't do it <laughs> yeah you ever do something think of something relating when it comes time to do it you can't quite do it and she goes you know what i do in those things he just goes right for it yep and, and but it all it all works out until Biff shows up and then and so this is the this is the yeah I mean it fits Biff's character I would say um, mm-hmm. and uh, so but George arrives and so we get the uh, oh but he does the thing uh, that he's supposed to say to Marty but he says it to Biff instead and uh, it's a, a problem because it's Biff and he's not going to play along with this but yes we do get the the fist is made the punch happens and biff is laid out and we they show the pu- they show the punch landing twice yes double we, double right, shot which it feels very 80s because whatever happened in, in in movies that were made much later it would have been even if it had to be physical it would be some sort of diffusion or some sort of accident that causes somebody to fall over or be in the wrong place at the wrong time mm-hmm. there probably would have been fewer punches thrown and less acceptance that throwing the punch was ultimately the right. way that you get the result that you now want. here he is like he's punching a man who is in the act of committing a sexual assault. No, so I'm I don't not mind saying he's punch. wrong to I just punch mind it. the hero worship of punching. Absolutely. I'm, <laughs> right. I'm okay with him punching it. I'm just saying that a more movie made more recently probably wouldn't lean so heavily on the way to solve the problem is to get George to punch well, it. Or they would have yeah. an extended, amazingly choreographed fight scene, right. scene on wires. Uh, I was going to say, this, a is, single this punch. is a movie punch where there's a single punch it's and a magic it re- punch. immediately renders the other person completely unconscious, which he rotated around twice. Yeah, yeah, in- indeed. He spins and around. And given the relative size of the individuals involved, I mean, and I'm not even talking about two men facing off to fight. I'm just talking about how strong is a guy George's size versus a guy Biff's size when he's throwing a punch at him. It, the physics don't seem to work, but that's okay. Yeah, you know, you get, get hit in the right place. So, so plus he is, he is being the hero. And, and, and they do have that extent. The whole point of this movie is like, so he tells him to leave. And this guy who has done whatever Biff has said for his entire life, because he has been bullied by mm-hmm. Biff, he's doing his homework for him, he's doing everything. He does try to do the punch in the stomach, which was the plan, but of course doesn't work and he's getting his arm twisted or whatever. Uh, but there is the moment where he has, to, he's like, leave. And you you see this and the, the thing that works is you're like, that there is a chance that this character would leave because what has he shown for the whole rest of the movie to let you know that he wouldn't leave and it's like he's thinking about leaving but then he sees Lorraine and yeah he, you know right and uh this is this is the thing that comes back later where Marty says he's never stood up to Biff and, and Doc's like never and he's like uh let's just go let's just forget about it that we've just changed yeah, more don't of, worry uh, don't worry it's it's all gonna be fine anyway unfortunately Marvin Barry has hurt his guitar hand and so Marty has to step because the the uh they haven't solved it yet the the his siblings are still fading away out of the photograph that they means have to that kiss they have to kiss that's the that's the rule so Mo- movie logic so Marty now, there's plays they, the guitar the band says, it's perfect oh well perfect. the band says 
they can't play without Marvin, but Marty is struggling sometimes because his hand is fading away, as would happen when you're yes. slowly being erased from the timeline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the band seems to do just fine. So I think the band is selling themselves short when they say they can't play without Marvin. I agree. They could have played well, just I, fine. And, the, you know, they have to have the cheesy cut unless, you know, someone who can play guitar, immediate cut and strum. <laughs> yep. Yep. He's he's there, and then of we course don't need he plays a scene where uh, he says, "I can play guitar, let me in." Uh huh. And then he plays Johnny Be Good with uh, one of the more questionable. Um, How not- bad must his singing be in real life that this is the choice they made? Because <laughs> it's not like Michael J. Fox. So I want to I want to get the nuance here. I don't think Michael J. Fox is bad at lip syncing. I think the voice of the singer it does not match him. Does not yeah. remotely no, not match Michael no. J. Fox. I think that's yes. it. How, How bad must he actually? <laughs> I was be? wondering about that. <laughs> No, it's, 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 so interestingly, the singer is credited as, um, Marty McFly, McFly, yeah, (laughs) but is not the singer, uh, Mark Campbell, Mark Campbell. Sorry, Mark Campbell. Uh, This scene does have one of the more manufactured dramas in it because they need, so he's laid out Biff, but they need there to be just one more conflict because we need to see Marty fading away, which is a more nonsensical movie logic that somehow works in this movie. And so they have the, like the nerdy red haired kid grab Lorraine and the guy who just punched Biff, his, his lifelong bully for a moment thinks, oh, well, oh geez, I guess I'm just going to walk away, which is does not fit character no. like he's it, like they've already done the the emotional climax but they need one more and basically in this thing i'm gonna no, disagree they, with john on this one i actually found it totally believable that george like oh who am i to think that i could and then like he has no way they can like i think it's okay his whole <laughs> life he's been he's known the intimidating guy intimidates him it's and so like, he's like going into that old habit i am now. intimidated yeah, no, maybe because yeah, maybe she's strong. not being assaulted and so she's what just he being should do with. is punch the redheaded kid and learn the lesson yes. that you should always punch everybody just pushes him down because he's he's put a lot of psychic energy into punching Biff, and now yeah. he's faced with another threat. There's no guarantee. Is this my life now? Punching other right men? Is this what he, I? He is punch this him, what he I just become? Pushes him down. He just pushes him to the floor. That's it. <laughs> but the but here's the thing: the, re- the reason this scene works is because we, as the audience, are mostly focused on uh, on uh, Michael J. Fox and his fading and his guitar playing, and right. that's essentially just like you might as well be watching someone try to run to get, go underneath a door that's slowly closing in a sci-fi movie. You don't care about the door. <laughs> yeah. You just care whether the hero makes it. Does so we're watching it? him. And as soon as they kiss, he springs back up. They speed oh, up the I film. I do love that. Gets, I love that moment. When he gets moment. from the seated position. Yeah. Oop. So, like, there, you know, the, the speaker the speaker thing and the speeding up the film when he gets up, very cartoonish. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that moment that he pops right back up. Because, yes, the, the soundtrack weird... swells. Also, uh, I, I, again, without getting too deep into the time travel logic yet, I'll point out that the way it seems to be is that the... Um, the older children who are going to be like the time travel ripple is moving forward Mm -hmm. and so their births are being wiped out and then and then the next one and then finally marty but the fact that he was posing in a picture with space for two people next to him does not change so it's fine no it's like you cannot think about any of this for a second but it it works so i don't think about it It i I never heard anybody who watched this movie like a regular person who watched this movie when it was released have any complaints about the time travel stuff maybe it's because the internet didn't exist and we didn't get to hear them but like yeah i think think it works so well for normal people the it's fading out of the picture never but, really made sense to me but you go with it because that's the rules of the yeah, movie and the movie it. gets the movie, to sell the movie its own has rules. charmed you so thoroughly that you're willing to go with it i mean it's, yes. there's a lot to be said for a movie getting you on its side whether it be through the people it casts or the scenes that you've seen before and even the things that seem the most incredulous you're like oh it's fine i'm having a good time so yeah. it can happen it's okay. i think 
I think a modern movie would probably do it slightly differently where they would have, for example, Doc would see the picture and then later Doc would say, let me see that picture. Mm, uh, Marty and Marty picture. would be like, yeah, here it is. It's nothing's changed. And Doc would be like, no, Marty, there used to be your brother in it. And Marty yeah. would be like, oh, yeah. what? Marty, I had yeah, a brother? Oh, but they don't do that's that. That's a more modern, more modern <laughs> yes, idea. That would be of time the modern when, when yeah. we when Back to the Future is inevitably remade in 2040, mm-hmm. uh, where they will travel back in time to 2010. No, no, Zemeckis and Gale have said they will not allow it while they're alive and they own the rights. Well, so, I, they, they, but they get they lifetime. get sick they're in the old. 2030s because of the <laughs> space rays. And uh, then, well, so I want to say I think that, and maybe this is an unpopular view, maybe it's a popular, I don't know, but I think that 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 Johnny B. Good moment makes the movie worse <laughs> um I, I mean again the, sa- the same paradox yes. we talked about when marvin barry's playing the song for chuck but also like M- marty sucks in this scene <laughs> like the solo that he plays is not the right solo to play at a dance that, that's he the should, joke like, that's the that's the whole point that he goes no, off into doing like, it's too loud but the, right? I, I like him the whole I like him the whole rest of the movie. And then here he's like, he gets so out of sorts and like I, it's played for last. So I just thought, it, I, I thought it makes Marty look bad. I didn't like it. I, I think it, I think it works because he fancies himself a guitar player who's going to be like his hero, Eddie Van Halen, but he's not, but he's, he's not absolutely not. Right. And so he's just like every other teenager, like pretending to play guitar and he's got a little bit of skills, but it's totally out of tune. Doesn't match the rest of the song. The audience doesn't like it. The band thinks it's weird. Yeah. It would have been worse if he played that. And, and the band was like, wow, this is amazing because of course everybody loves Eddie Van Halen style solo. No, but the, no, they the call to Marvin's cousin Chuck, which is again in the in the Jimmy Two Times school, it's like Chuck, your cousin, Chuck, it's your cousin Marvin, Marvin Barry. Marvin Barry, everybody, <laughs> you listen to this that you're hearing on a telephone from forty feet away. It's yep. gonna be great. Anyway, after that, uh, he does the guitar solo. Your kids are gonna love it. It's a great line. I don't know. It's hard for me to judge this because the lip sync is so bad. But yeah, I do like that it, it is uh, fitting with what we know about Marty, which is that he gets kicked out or, or gets rejected from the band early on because he's too loud. He fancies himself this. A guitar virtuoso, virtuoso, like Nigel Tufnell, his solos are his trademark, and they're like, "This sucks." <laughs> it's like, see a Marty, um, but uh, we gotta get Marty back to the future. So um, after uh, he gives the doc the letter, he rips it up. Uh, a limb falls on the cable. Great Scott, we have more complication in this movie that we have to deal right, with. It's funny because you expect you're, you're in the home stretch, and then yeah. it's still tense, no, right? Like, nope, yep. every possible obstacle. Yeah, you think yeah. timing the run is going to be all you need to worry about, but no, there's a there's a limb on a cable mm-hmm. and the car doesn't start and all the tension just continues to build. It's when well Doc done. is waiting for him and he looks at his watch and they have the, the, twinkly, the, the twinkly uh, Back to the Future chime thing, this movie has such a... That's why I put mm-hmm. it in the same category as like Star Wars. The signature soundtrack of Back to the Future, yeah. which will carry it for three whole Dude, movies, Al- is Alan fully Silvestri. realized. And this, yeah. this is... Yes, John, this is one of my very favorite moments in the whole movie where he goes, uh, damn, do 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 damn yep. damn <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it is, like, where is that it is, it is very kind of old hollywood serial on the nose and i and fits this movie <laughs> brands it so well I, I, yeah. I, I love the soundtrack so we get the harold lloyd moment as the doc has to go up on the thing and then he pulls on the cable to connect it and then it pulls still doesn't reach down and then he pulls it out from down below and he's like oh <laughs> and so he has to like slide down and all of that and meanwhile marty uh his car the car won't start 
Uh, oh, he, he wishes he had more time to warn Doc. To and warn he Doc. Says, Wait a second, yes. I've got a time machine. Ah, uh, yes, and then he that's says, right. If only I had ten more time. minutes ought to do it. Yeah. Well, oh, Marty. How so Marty? St- give yourself a day, dude. Come on. No, not, like he needs to pick the exact right amount of time that is plausible but still dramatic for the finale of the movie. Yeah. Give yourself just do ten minutes. That'll be that'll be fine. Anyway, the tension mm-hmm. is very good at building. Um, the, the Doc does get the thing connected just barely. He may have conducted some of that electricity through his own he's body. Fine. It's, it's fine. He's going to be fine. We see him. <laughs> afterward and he's fine it was just rotoscoped but they uh but the but the the delorean does start it does hit as the lightning goes it does go 88 it it does fly uh out and by the way the timing of this is probably the least plausible thing yeah yeah movie well, he's got considering the, l- the alarm clock goes off and he hasn't hit the gas yet. And even if he did, yeah, like like the, you could do this a, a thousand times on Mythbusters. They should have probably yes. had a Mythbusters episode. Is it possible to time it correctly? And the answer would be no, no, no. never. I, I my head cannon <laughs> honestly is, is that Doc has some sort of a a primitive kind of like capacitor that allows not a flux capacitor, right, right. That, that allows capacitor, allows right? it to hold the power briefly so it that it's electrified. One point twenty one gigawatt capacitor he's got hanging around. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, it's the <laughs> other thing that he invented that works, but it, it does explode. Is the problem? Uh, but it, but it, Hollywood tower. logic, like they, yeah. they they throw everything in front of you. So many things go wrong, and they get you to believe: Is it going to happen? Is you it going to happen? Oh, and it all comes together. You and know honestly, how? Honestly, you know how, John? The power of love. That's right. Mm. And, and this this kind of Hollywood plot of like, you know, just the basic premise of this movie goes back in time, doesn't have plutonium, uh, plutonium needs energy, a bolt of lightning, lightning on the clock tower. Just that outline is so strong. Like yeah. I, this, these are good ideas for a movie that you can make a fun movie with. And they're just plausible enough that people will accept them. Not too complicated that you have to over explain it. And then they build a good movie around those bones. Mm-hmm. That's why I feel like this works because the story the story has good foundations. The, this, the structure, the outline, the whatever they would call it in Hollywood, where you just say, let me just tell you about this movie in five bullet points. Yeah. Thumbs and up. You d- and you don't need a, a today. Again, you were making, not if you were remaking this, but like you would have the, the twisty turny, the Christopher Nolan kind of like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to like confuse them. And then they're going to resolve. And it's like, Oh, and this movie is very straightforward. He goes back, mm-hmm. he messes things up. They know exactly what they have to do. They do it. They, they, they try and it's dramatic when they do it, but they and, get it yes. done. And, and, and the tension builds, but they do get it done. And that's, that's it. Like the, it is very, <laughs> there's no, yeah. linear for a time travel movie it's actually very linear right it's like we and know where this is going which is back I to always, 1985 yes go ahead i always think about uh, so the original gimmick for getting him back in time was they were going to visit a nuclear test site in um nevada and harness the power of a nuclear explosion to <laughs> whatever you don't have the budget for that. And, yeah and <laughs> that's exactly why they didn't do We've got it a car when they when um there's a like a behind the scenes thing and they talk about like it was way over budget for them to do that and it would have been such an inferior movie mm. if they had done that i think that part of what makes back to the future so good is that it's it's really constrained to this one area that we get to know really really well and if they had like okay now we're off on our road trip to las vegas you know it just would it wouldn't have been as good i also think nuclear power and nuclear weaponry were controversial enough in the 80s that that's a road they wouldn't have wanted to go down oh, anyway they did have the plutonium also big well, in the 80s right. it's but, true but I, it just plutonium. would have been a complication and a reason for people to be grumpy at the movie that they didn't need to do and you wouldn't have had the car you need the car the car i mean can you imagine back to the future franchise without the delorean no 
the first time I saw this movie, this is the part that really blew my mind, though. Like I said earlier, he gets back to 1985. He's downtown, obviously, because that's where he traveled in time. The Libyans go by. So he's like reassured. Yay, I'm back. I'm back. There's a homeless guy sl- sleeping over here. There's an X-rated there no movie theater the 50s, over there. Jason, home sweet home. Uh, but the but the Libyans drive through. He's like, oh, the Libyans. And the car won't start. So he has to run, which means he has not given himself, in fact, uh, enough time as he runs up to... Lone Pine Mall, a thing in the movie where he ran mm. over a tree that it comes back here. And from a distance, he hears his own voice as Doc is shot. No, bastards. He drives in the car. He goes away and all of that. And uh, the Libyans hit the Fox photo uh, one hour photo booth, thereby rendering them unnecessary for the rest of the movie. Don't worry about them. Doc, it turns out, is OK because he taped up the letter that he ripped up and read it and wore a bulletproof vest and he figured, what the hell? So, um, therefore... By the way, the bulletproof vest, not the easiest solution to I'm going to get shot by machine guns problem. Well, but he's he has to look like he's dying, so Marty goes back. Well, you know this, I mean? is, yeah. this is where the movie doesn't want to deal with the mm-hmm. questions of the bootstrap paradox. Yes. Did right? he have the bulletproof vest on in the, in the opening of the movie? Right. Did he, was he wearing it before? So now, now uh, we're going to get to the part where he goes home. And, and I'm just going to say, one of the things that as a person who's watched a lot of time travel movies and we we learned in our very important time cop episode that that's the one that convinced me don't even try to understand time travel movies none of them make any sense it can't be done but i'm gonna i'm gonna break my rule here slightly and just say it's it disturbs me to this day and it disturbed me i would like to think at the time i'm not 100 sure that when marty returns home it is to a home he never knew his siblings have different jobs and are doing different things his parents are very different the whole thing is not it's not where he grew up these are not the people that he grew up with and I, right. I think to myself, like, we don't have a scene where Marty suddenly has a new set of memories. He is like, come home to some other Marty's home and doesn't have any commonality with him, which is why when I think about Doc having the uh, the the bulletproof vest, there's part of me who thinks, well, sure, this Doc has the bulletproof vest, but mm-hmm. the Doc that Marty left, he's just dead at the mall, right? Like, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll diagram this out in the second movie. But yeah, like, I was I was about to say exactly that, John. That uh, you know, my imprinting, uh, the imprinting on me of a whole bunch of like official handbooks of the Marvel universe and such at a critical age. You know, um, you know, it's alternate timeline stuff. It's um, the movie is having fun. Uh, but the movie is not internally consistent there. And we've got future um, we've, we've got future sequels that are going to be all about alternative timelines. And they ex- they spell it out exactly. But as a standalone movie, uh, you just let it go. And it's and it's the and time has changed or alternative future, whatever the movie is making a larger point about, um, how important it is to stand up for yourself and how great things are going to happen for you. Um, in Ronald Reagan's right. America, right. If you st- but it, there, there is one level where it's sort of like, Oh good. Marty got himself a better family. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We're supposed family to believe that this entire way. family uh, springs from the fact that George McFly did the right thing in 1955, and therefore his doing the right thing makes him a better husband, which makes Lorraine a better wife, which makes the older siblings better puts a, put on a suit right, and go to the parents. office. Yep. It allows Marty to get a truck. It yes. allows the parents to be happy tennis playing people. And, and Biff serves them and waxes their car. It allows the sexual assaulter to be okay washing their car. I mean, <laughs> it's funny that Biff comes back, but does Lorraine really want her sexual assaulter ah, out in her driveway? Good question. Yeah, I mean, this is then these are these are the kinds of moments that you know I I, I feel as the Brits would say dreadfully po faced about uh, about my reactions to the movie. Um, uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed rewatching it, but these are the moments I think because I took so much time. Uh, between um, seeing it religiously and then not seeing it all. Um, those are the moments where I do get stuck in my head, really thinking through the Libyans and well, the, well, here, the they're, messaging they're, of the end here. Yeah, his family here, they're, they're yuppies, basically. Yeah, this is prosperity gospel. It's basically, yes. uh, yeah, because 100%. you have money, it shows Very that Reagan you are better. Very Reagan 80s. Yes. Right? Very it, much it, so. Like, like the, the acquiring of wealth and nice things shows that you are a good person that is ronald reagan's america and this movie 100 percent embraces it and says success your happy man ending is now your family is rich and that means you're a better person <laughs> jason i think this is part of where you were going earlier but i i all from my first remembering of watching this movie i feel bad for marty now because yeah. there's a lifetime of memories but he doesn't share with his family because now he's got know. the good rich family and that's yeah. what it means to be successful <laughs> but he's gonna have to lie and pretend the for the rest thing of his that life matters. <laughs> And again, I would be success. if look, if I were if I were parachuted from 2024 back into in be a script doctor for this movie. Right. I, I would. Yes, I would probably say mm, Libyans. Do we have to do that? But one of the things that I would probably say is, could we do this thing that I was sort of saying earlier about Marty's uh, picture? We're just like, uh, could we make it that he just says, whoa. I remember all these other things now, like not even that he's forgotten his life, but he remembers the new life. And it's sort of like, th uh, this is a changed world that I'm in now. But because I do think it's a little bit sad that Marty has gotten all of his wishes, but like when he sees Jennifer and they're going to go out to the, obviously things aren't that different, but he's right. got and the Jennifer truck now. changes in the second movie. But well, I, mean, <laughs> I, mean, I feel really bad for this actress the whole time. I'm I like, she's meant to be Jennifer. a minor character. The they didn't know there would be sequels and replace her with Elizabeth Shue, but they did. So I, I just, I, it, yeah, it, it is. I know we're, uh, we're overthinking it. That's maybe part of our charter here, but I just, even in the, in the moment, I just thought, wait a second, like he didn't grow up in the same house that this world is from and it's like it's weird like he doesn't have common stories with his brother who's wearing a suit at the office every day he has those yeah. with his brother who's oh by the way living at home while wearing a suit going yeah, to the exactly. office every day like, See, they're that's, so successful, that's such but a they fascinating Rorschach test because like you, you're talking about feeling bad for Marty because he doesn't have those memories. That didn't even occur to me. My thought was all about the yuppies and about the sexual assaulter in the driveway. So I, I feel like there's a way you can interpret there, this differently based on your own yeah, life this, experience. This movie definitely has that 80s view of here. Yes. here's what is good in life. You know, Conan, what is good in life? And what is good in life, according to every 80s movie, is everything that he has. And the, the idea yes. that, he, that he had a four different life, four. that he didn't Pepsi share in that free. life... What, what, well, we're supposed so to he think can grow is, up to become Alex P. Keaton now. Apparently. Yeah, we're supposed uh. to think that the whole time he was growing up in his original house, 
he was wishing that he was growing up in this house. And so at the end of the movie, right. when he gets this house, you're like, oh, it's sad. He doesn't share memories with his family. It's like, no, but the whole time he was growing up, this is how he wishes his family was, yeah. except for the fact that his two adult siblings still live in the house. But never mind. They just need to be in the scene. If, if the movie wanted to do what uh, Jason's thinking of, then he would actually be sad because in the so-called battle days, um, when his father is watching old TV and laughing painfully awkwardly at it but and then marty go marty goes back and sees the honeymooners episode and says this is a really good one you know the 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 movie could have said you know it wasn't so bad for him and now i'm in this different um i'm in this different timeline and everything's changed and i don't know it but the movie's got no interest in no oh certainly there nor should it i would say i just find it very weird that this movie makes the decision for the kid who goes back in time to change not intentionally but change his future for the better so that he gets all these good things and yet if you think one layer down from there it's kind of horrible <laughs> but <laughs> for all the reasons for shelly's reasons for my reasons like there are lots of reasons why this is like wait a second this is the answer here but you know be that as it may i will say i think this movie has one of the greatest endings of all time and it's because you think the movie's over because they said goodbye to Doc and he's going to go to the future. Very, very modern. And, Mar- and Marty also, comes back. very hipply when Doc is going to go off on the, the car the first time. Uh, it happens off camera, but we still see the flash of light. And like yeah. when you're yes. watching it, you don't notice that, hey, we don't even see it, but they, they saved one saved, day of effects. Saved a lot of money right there. That's right. Big, exactly. it was, they had to put a big, bright white light there. It's a very short yeah. street and he goes very fast. Anyway, he but Doc immediately comes back because it's time travel. And it's like, wait a second. And and the, the car is different and he's wearing future clothes and the car is has like a Mr. Fusion on the back. He's wearing 2015 clothes because that's all what yes, we all looked like in 2015. That's right, from hoverboards. <laughs> he, he, he feeds various organic material and a beer can into the Mr. Fusion. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, we're ready to go. And he's like, well, what's, what's happening? It's like, no, you guys are fine. It's your, not it's your, it's your kids. Right. And that's not true. It's your kids, Marty. Well, because again, the sequels change all of this, but like, it's your kids, yeah. you and Jennifer, the, the, your kids, they're, in, they're, they're the ones who are the problem. You got to come back with me. And they're like, we don't have enough road. What you just had enough road earlier, but okay, fine. Where we're no, going. He, well, here's the thing. I, he I checked this block on the first one. Yeah. Just see if they've got enough road. His the first time he goes back, he drives down the road to the right away. Ways uh, before and he turns then, around. And then and the second time, speed. he's right by the entrance of the driveway. And we don't have enough road. Where we're going, yeah. we don't need roads. Classic line, great moment. The 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 car flies and turns and flies to the camera, and that and then we get That's the Huey the Lewis movie. song. It's such a great ending because you're like, oh oh, what will happen next? And then of course they made two more. They made two sequels to but be like, continued as a yeah. standalone movie. That is a what a fun way to end it on that note instead of just and then Marty and Jennifer lived happily ever after yeah. in their Toyota four by four because it needs that abrupt 80s ending and the abrupt 80s ending is the DeLorean flying into the screen yeah. and in the modern days that that's whole sequence stuff. would be a post credit post credit scene yeah mid credit scene but it's so great it's a great great moment that makes you walk out of the theater in I wonder what's going to happen next by Huey Lewis and by uh, the time machine. Yeah, and, you might wonder uh, what's yeah. going to happen next, but I don't think it leaves you unsatisfied. It's not oh, the no. cynical. Yeah, they've told a it's not story. the cynical sort of okay. No. We have to wait for the sequel to find out what's going to happen because we were in. There was no plan for a sequel when they made this movie. <laughs> there was no plan. And even if there had been, again, it wasn't that sort of cynical. You have to see the sequel, right. or you're going to yeah, miss. They tied up everything. Than... He got the truck. His family yeah. is fixed in that '80s Reagan That's way. Right. The sexual assaulter is in the driveway. Everything he's, is fine. He's going to do an extra coat of wax. <laughs> Access penance. That's how that works. Yeah, now Biff. <laughs>
Don't lie to me about yeah. that second coat of wax. Well, Lorraine's not going out there. Lorraine, Lorraine does not want uh, Biff in the driveway. But the, the reason you need Biff there is so we can see that also he had the punishment of his life it's now sucks. Yes. It's not come just this. Right. It's the I understand good. why we need Biff. I wish they'd found a different way to do yeah. it. But again, like oh, that's. I, agree. I mean, it's it's the whole point of the the movie is like we have to resolve all the things that we broke during the course of the movie, and one of the things we have to do is humiliate Biff because he spent so much time humiliating George earlier in the movie. Biff could have been asleep on the park bench, you know, right? Mm. True enough. Well, well, well see, not. here's the thing. Like, the the, the economy of, of how much time they have left to tie up all the loose ends means the kids have to live at yeah. home. It's Biff a real wizard of Oz way. Like, it's, there's only going to be in one location. They're not yeah. going to go, and now we cut to his sister and her job, and now we no. cut to her brother and his job, and Harry's Biff and his sad life, and there's no time for that. Where's my brother? Yeah. I thought, he, is he dead? No, he lives in his own apartment, because like an yeah. adult. <laughs> <'Cause he's laughs> oh, in prison? What about Lorraine's family? We're never going to find out about, about them. What about Jailbird Joey? Oh, uh, what do you mean, uh, Senator Joey? <laughs> I, uh, he's fine. <laughs> Same thing. At, at the time this movie came out, I was a teenager who played a lot of a, a board game uh, called Car Wars, and and the, relig <laughs> the, the religious statement that my friends and I who played the game was when we were designing our cars was no weight, no space. The car must be perfectly uh, encumbered and all that. This is a no weight, no space movie. Um, yeah. Everything that's in there is put in exactly where it needs to be for exactly the right amount of time or frequently twice um, to set up all to set this up for satisfaction you know yeah me watching it, it with 2024 eyes i had more problems with it than i expected but um for for the movie when it was made and for the absolute skill in setting up and pacing and timing all of this stuff so that we get to the end and we get to the delorean flying at you you know um I can't think of a more economical movie at this point. And that is a real accomplishment. Mm. And you have to kind of gr grade on the, or at least I want to actually grade on the kind of a curve because there are so many awful 80s movies that when you see one that is only a little bit awful, like every time I watch an old movie that I haven't seen in a while, I'm, like, I'm, I'm bracing. I'm like, how much worse is this going to be than I remembered? And this one is like, oh, only a few terrible things and so, as opposed to the movie being based on a terrible premise or, you know, foundation or having the main characters do awful things like it, you know, it gets by, it has so much charm and so many good things going for it. And then you're like, and only a small amount of bad things. And that yeah. is basically the best you can hope for for a lot of these, especially ones that are not just like, you know, good movies from the 80s, but like pop movies from the 80s mainstream pop movies which should be the embodiment of the entire culture good and bad combined and there was so much bad right and this movie i feel like even in the 80s it rises above its siblings in that at the time it was less awful than they were and i think you could kind of feel that like that it that it dwelled less in it the terrible stereotypes they were there but it's less of them mm -hmm. and I, I always felt like this movie was ahead of its time in that way and, and of course you know beautifully made and well constructed yeah any other final thoughts as we wrap up uh the first of a three movie cycle uh but at, at the time a standalone movie i i mean well, jason I, you, I you described as a kid being excited when you saw those scenes at the end where we're watching scenes we've seen in the beginning of the movie we're seeing Indeed. again and i think that that feeling well, is why the second one is my favorite <laughs> because we get to see so oh, much wow. including stuff from the first movie over and over again yeah 
So you just, are a wild man, Lex Friedman. I really am. I, I really loved it. I think I said it, it hinted at it at the beginning, but there's so much about this movie that is and has remained in the zeitgeist. It doesn't feel dated, despite the fact that we are literally in two time zone time uh, lines that are not our own. But it absolutely holds up, and most and the jokes hold up. And yeah, I have small problems with it, which is why it's fun to air them out on a podcast. I'm also the weird person that has seen this movie and the third movie, but not the middle movie. I think because I sometimes oh. react negatively to the idea of a sequel, and so I'd be like, "You're not going to get my money for the second movie." And then I probably saw some trailer for the third movie and went, oh, that looks like fun, and went to see it. So I, I look forward to discussing uh, the next two, uh, one with more knowledge than the other. But the first one is absolutely a classic. To, to, to Lex's point, you know, I think that the really cool things, some of the really cool things in this movie, they leaned into for making Back to the Future 2. And I think that this movie had those alternate timeline-ish elements and Marty not being able to help himself when dealing with Biff and things like that. Back to the Future sort of turns those up to 11. Uh, Back to Part 2 does. And I think that this movie has the absolute right balance. Um, I finished this movie and I said, you know, I don't want to watch Back to the Future 2 and 3 anymore because I do want to appreciate how perfectly encapsulated mm. this one is the story could have stopped here and i would have been fine yeah i think one of the not this is the movie about the the sequel but like this movie is so iconic and was so successful at conveying as much as possible of its goodness to its audience and was so widely seen that the second movie could not work unless it could safely assume that people remembered things from the first movie. And they do. And we do to this day. The first movie was so iconic that when they reference and replay and show us different angles on scenes in the first movie, it can confidently believe that if if people who are watching the second movie saw the first one at all, they will remember this scene because and that's the sign of a great movie. Same thing with Star Wars. Like there are iconic scenes that burn themselves into people's memories. And this movie has a lot of them. And that's that's one of the best things you can hope for, especially when making like a popular, you know, mainstream movie to not to put too many feet wrong and to make something that people will remember however many years we are after that. What that was the 80s. So what we're 20 years later now. Don't tell me. <laughs> 15. Something like that. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this discussion. But we will go on and, and talk about Back to the Future parts uh, two and three at some other time. But uh, that wraps up this episode. Just time enough for me to thank all the kids who jumped in front of my car. Aline Sims, thank you. I was pushed. Uh, Lex Friedman, thank you. This was heavy. Heavy? You keep using that word. Shelly mm-hmm. Brisbane, thank you. Thank you. I earlier alluded to additional movies that were made after this one and perhaps seeing them. I'm going to go back in time and change that reference because I have no idea whether I'll be on those shows or not. If they didn't indeed exist. Oh, if they do, I'm going to go back in time. John Syracuse, thank you. I feel like I've been struck by lightning. And Chip Sutter, thank you. Great, Scott. (laughs) Uh, Wrong uh, podcast. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of... The Incomparable. See, I said the name of the podcast in the podcast. (laughs) 